This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Here at home in the race for President Donald Trump addressing Alexei Navalny's mysterious death for the first time. Trump comparing himself to Navalny. Donald Trump addressing Alexei Navalny's death for the first time. Trump comparing Navalny's death to his own political problems. Trump writing, the sudden death of Alexei Navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country, claiming that rigged elections and grossly unfair courtroom decisions are destroying America. Trump has faced days of scathing criticism from opponent Nikki Haley for refusing to condemn Putin. I don't know why he keeps getting weak in the knees when it comes to Russia. On the trail, Trump blasting his latest legal blow, a New York judge finding him liable for fraud, ordering him to pay $355 million. It's a horrible, horrible thing that's taking place. Trump's attorney saying the former president will be able to cover the penalty's massive bond payment. Within 30 days, even if we choose to appeal this, which we will, we have to post the bond, which is the full amount and some, um, and uh, we will be prepared to do that. She wouldn't say if Trump would have to liquidate assets to cover the fine, but insists he has the money. He's strong, he's resilient, and he happens to have a lot of cash. There are just five days until the South Carolina primary with Nikki Haley trailing behind Donald Trump by more than 30 points in her home state. And Haley's campaign says tomorrow she'll be giving a speech in South Carolina on the state of the presidential race. This is about the competition of states. I thought before this judgment that the number one loser state in America was California, which is basically putting itself out of business slowly and surely. But after this judgment, I'm going to make New York the number one loser state, followed by California, then Massachusetts, New Jersey, Michigan. These are places where taxes are not competitive. Delaware, for example, is now on the loser state list because it's unstable policy on the Elon Musk decision. You don't have to put your money into places where this kind of thing happens. Each of us as investors, we vote with our capital. Why punish a great state because it doesn't happen to be on the east or west coast? I say go to Florida, go to Texas, go to North Dakota, Oklahoma, West Virginia. These are winner states. Why go to a loser state like New York? Well, with the rash of recent shootings, attacks and robberies on and around mass transit in the city, it's no surprise that new numbers from the NYPD show an uptick in subway crime. That's right, especially robberies and thefts. Fox 5's Arthur Chan has more on the surge in what police think is partly to blame. Of the six people that were shot, there's four males and two females. From shootings to slashings to assaults, so far this year, subway crimes have jumped 22.6% compared with last year. Even police officers haven't been exempt from attacks. The NYPD tells Fox 5, 138 out of 266 cases so far this year are grand larcenies. That's up about 40%. It includes smartphones and headphones being snatched and more. And here's an eye-opening stat. Since the beginning of the year, NYPD officers have made 40% more arrests than this time last year, with a 64% increase in grand larceny arrests. Now, usually when arrests go up in the subway system, crime goes down. But in this case, they're both going up at the same time. And law enforcement experts tell us that's because grand larceny suspects are often back out on the streets before long. Well, ladies and gentlemen, many of you know this man. Some of you don't. He's got, uh, I think, the biggest or one of the biggest shows in New York, the morning show on WABC. And I'll tell you why. Because he is, a, in his heart, a good man. Because he's funny. 
but he can be serious, substantive, and he's my buddy. Sid Rosenberg, how are you? How am I? This is a huge honor. I need to be on Mark Levin's radio show, and yes, he's got the number one show in New York in the morning. We're, we're a monster, quite frankly, Mark, throughout the country, but to be on your show is, uh, is a huge honor for me, so thank you so much. Well, God bless you, brother. I want you to, uh, to explain. You went to Israel recently, what you did there, what you saw there, and now you see that this regime in Washington, D.C. is turning on the Jews, turning on Israel, embracing Dearbornistan, Michigan. Uh, now they're going to back a resolution against Israel in the United Nations. I mean, it's getting worse and worse and worse with Biden and Blinken, is it not? It is, but entirely predictable. And I'm going to say this. It was just one day after those brutal attacks on October the 7th. And it was an early Sunday morning. It was a football Sunday. I was about to watch the Jets and the Giants, which I couldn't do because I was nauseous from watching the coverage from Israel. This is no surprise. Look, Biden has now been a part of not one, but two administrations that hate our people. Dating back to his days with Obama, he was the VP. He was right there when Obama and Kerry, the architects of that Iran deal, he knew about the pallets of cash that that creep Obama was sending to Palestinians at 4 o'clock in the morning. And then he wins, and he does the same thing all over again. And I'm going to tell you this, Mark. The people here that are stupid in the United States, and there's a lot of them, a lot of my own people, Jewish people, their own worst enemy in Israel, they're not buying it. Don't believe what you read here. The people on the streets that I met, well, anecdotal, know the real deal. They know that while Biden go on TV and talk about being pro-Israel, at the same time, he calls Bibi Netanyahu an a-hole or an effing a-hole. And he gives money to Iran, and he constantly puts his foot on the neck of Israel. So he's not fooling those people in Israel, not in Jerusalem, not in Tel Aviv, maybe in Brooklyn, maybe in Virginia, but not there. He has been exposed as the creep. You knew he was, and I knew he was. And I never thought I'd feel this way. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm glad I got the chance to say that I do believe I love you. And if I should ever go away, well then close your eyes and try feel the way we do today. And then if you can remember. Smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me. For sure, that's what friends are for. For good times and bad times, I'll be on your side
After I made my second appearance ever on the Mark Levin Show last night, it was great. Mark actually texted me Friday night. I was having Shabbat dinner at the lovely Long Island home of Zev and Adina Brenner. There was about 15 of us. Me and Danielle were there. And I got a text from Levin saying, hey, I want you on on Monday night. Of course, I watched both of his shows Saturday and Sunday. On Fox News, they were great. Dershowitz on Saturday, the former ambassador to Israel, David Friedman on Sunday. Just great shows. And then he brought me on last night, and uh, again, it was the second time. He brought me on when my book, Citizens United, which you can buy an autographed copy right now at WABCRadio.com, an autographed copy, WABCRadio.com. When that book came out, he put me on. And it's been a while, of course. We had our tip, our little fight over Governor Andrew Cuomo, of all things. But now we are uh, as tight as can be ever since Sunday, October the 8th. Literally one day after the Hamas attacks. Levin and I, I would say, this is a conservative number, text each other five days a week. Maybe six, I don't know. So my buddy Lou Ruffino took the day off yesterday, and he deserves it. He works his ass off, and he's the greatest at his position ever. But, Lou, you, you like, you're like tired of something today. You, you're off a little bit. You're not in a great mood. You're rubbing your eyes. You're rolling your eyes. I'm waking up. What's the matter with you? I'm great. You I'm... just had three days off in a row. No, I'm great. I had to do a five-hour show yesterday while you were at home doing who knows what. What are you so tired from? Thought you said I wor- thought you just said I worked. Really I know, hard. but you had three days off in a row, and you're like rubbing your eyes. Or you look, you just look like you don't want to be here. Or Maybe something. I'm in disbelief over, over your what? Mark, over this your Mark Levin relationship. <laughs> yeah, is that what it is? It's possible. So, what did you do yesterday on your uh, President's Day off? Because while uh, Diego does a good job, I miss you. I miss you on the air. I miss you know fooling around with you and having fun and. Sticking your finger in my all ears. All that. All your funny comments. Bread. and okay. So what were you doing yesterday? I, I, had, I had texted you a while ago saying, look, I'm going to take the day off. And I'm go- I went over to, the, uh, to Lincoln's gravesite. He's and, such an uh, idiot. And I yeah. apologized yeah. to him for mm-hmm. what yeah. mess the country's in. You never even <laughs> thought for one second yesterday about any president, did you? Oh, yes, I did. You were yes, probably exactly. sleeping, yeah, off did. Your, uh, sleeping off your... Um, your 90 beers you must have had at uh, Harbor Lights on Sunday night. Not only yesterday, but then I heard this list that Gnome uh, gave out this morning of uh, a, uh, a survey of the greatest presidents that have ever been. I forgot where he got I it I want to hear that. I you know, I was, was watching was uh, CNN <laughs> out of the corner of my eye yesterday, and they have Joe Biden. I don't know. I don't know what kind of metrics they use, nor do I care or criteria. They had Joe Biden as the 14th greatest president ever, 14. And out of 45, they had Donald Trump, shocker, shocker, 
at the very bottom of the list, number 45. Is that the list, uh, Noam, that Lou was talking about? Yeah. So, I mean, that tells you everything, right? That Donald Trump is dead last. He was probably dead last before they even started assembling the list. Right. And let me just say this. If God is good to me, I'll be 57 in April. I've been around for a lot of presidents. And the two best presidents by a mile, a mile in my lifetime are Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. So how he's number 45 when, according to me, over the, na- over the last six decades, he's number one or two makes you think because you know that I'm smarter than all those people, all of them. Who else is on this stupid list? I'm looking for it now. Um, let's see. Uh, Biden tops President Ronald Reagan, betrays President Obama, who's Jesus. ranked number seven. Uh, no, 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 don't, don't even go any further. Uh, no. further enough. You know, I, I think right. that cl- the what clues you in is Noam also had uh, uh, some people who were giving their responses. Right. And they, <laughs> is that what it was? They sound like they're 16 years old. They just they have no idea what's going on So what in the were world. you doing? Oh, yeah, uh, I like uh, Obama. <laughs> Obama. That's who I remember. You were off yesterday, too, Noam. In fact, uh, half the show took off. Lou, Noam, and Joe Nolan. What did you do on your day off? Uh, uh, had friends from out of town in, so we were hanging out in the city with them, going out for brunch. That sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds real nice. It Noam. was nice. It was great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't sound convinced of that. No, I'm the only asshole that works. <laughs> I'm the host of the damn show, and I'm here. You're going out for lunch. Lou is uh, visiting the Library of Congress. God knows what Joe Nolan was doing, sleeping off his 90 beers when the Devils beat the Flyers on Saturday. Uh, yeah, he he must have really celebrated. Oh. He had to. I heard him. I tell you, that uh, that Sunday outdoor game, the Rangers and the Islanders, was something special. I had no desire to go. I actually had tickets. But I'll sit outside in December in MetLife for a football giant playoff game. For a regular season Ranger game, I'm not sitting out there. It was freezing on Sunday. Yes. It's stupid. But Gnome actually actually confirmed my fears about going to these games and to anything out at MetLife. What's the worst part? Oh, getting out or getting in. Oh, you can't get out. It's It's horrendous. It's still terrible. I know. How is that still possible? I've done giant games where I walked out. One o'clock kickoff. I walked out at ten after four, and at six thirty, I was still in the parking yeah. lot. Yeah, it's what, what, terrible. What is wrong with that? I, I, I don't know. Stupid. You, they got and again, you going it, it, everywhere. It, it, it's not. It's not a Stanley Cup Finals game. The regular season game, and by six o'clock on Sunday night, it was freezing. So, for example, I love the Rangers. Love them tonight at Madison Square Garden. The Rangers are going to host the Dallas Stars. It'll be indoors, it'll be nice and warm, and I'll be there. Thanks to Pete Morgan, he gave me and Gabriel Ranger Star tickets tonight, so we're going. That's a different story. The reason why they're called winter sports is because they play them inside, whether it's the Rangers or the Knicks. So while everybody was like, oh, look at me and my brand-new Ranger jersey, I love those new jerseys. Even the Islander jerseys I like. Sitting outside in the cold, you, you look like an idiot. And then, uh, you know, when they try to be funny, Steve Levy 
Mark Messier. <laughs> Who's that idiot who played for Montreal and the Devils? Oh, P.K. Subban. Oh, he's such an ass he munch. He is a buffoon. He's a complete idiot with he black is. leather pants. He is. What are you doing? Most of them are doing, who do, who do hockey, unfortunately, are Horrible. kind of buffoonish. The only one I really liked was Kevin Weeks, the former goaltender. No, he's, come on, he's in that same. He was okay on Sunday. All right. You know, he's one of only like ten players ever, Kevin Weeks, to play for all three clubs. Right. He played for the Rangers, the Islanders, and the Devils. And then you got the guy that you hate, Ray Ferraro. Yeah, he's just kind of stupid. Yeah, he is know. kind of stupid, yeah. It's a brutal broadcast. <laughs> brutal. I like Steve Levy. I've always liked Steve Levy, but he's trying to be funny. You know, he's he's the straight guy, then he's the funny guy. He doesn't know what he is. I think Kevin Weeks actually called Emily Kaplan two different names, first names, going throwing it to her. The other correspondent who was at the... Yeah, I was going to say, I'd be really upset if I knew who the hell Emily Kaplan was. <laughs> well, I mean... I, I thought just... she was like one of my attorneys. Well, he <laughs> sounds like it, actually. <laughs> she could be. But he... he but he was throwing to her on the other side. Well, uh, more uh, more with the Rangers, a- Amy. Thanks. And I'm yeah, like, that's not that's not her name. I didn't think, and I checked it twice. I rewound. Then he called. Oh, he Red called Dip. her Amy. Yeah. Yeah. And right, but you were working on the broadcast <laughs> with her, dude. Yeah. Come on. And then he called her a, a different name the next time. That is funny. It's uh, Stacy. I'm with right now. Jeez, <laughs> come on, man. It's the big broadcast. It's the only thing going on Sunday. Well, it is uh, great to have all you guys back, all three of you. And it's a huge show today again, folks, uh, this week because Brian Kilmeade is on vacation. I agreed because I love John and Margot Katsimatidis and I love Chad Lopez to do uh, five hours every day till 11 o'clock. I will not have a voice by Thursday, I guarantee you that. So you'll get three five-hour shows and then you'll get Dominic Carter. I guarantee that's going to be the case. But, uh, yeah. But the open, yeah. But they opened a lot of very important stuff today, nicely done by Justin Ellick, Donald Trump. I'm just like Navalny. People are freaking out. Nikki Haley, MSNBC, CNN, that Donald Trump has not come out and pounded Vladimir Putin because we all know, of course, uh, this, uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are like, we figured this thing out. Way to go, geniuses. We all know that Putin had this bastard killed. He tried for years. He finally got it done. And they're waiting for a very, very harsh response from Donald Trump. And they didn't get it. Instead, he said, that guy's just like me. And then Nikki Haley, who's going to deliver today's State of the Race address in South Carolina, with that primary coming up on Saturday and last look trailing by 33 points, this biatch won't shut the F up. How do we get Nikki Haley out of here? Somebody told me yesterday she ain't leaving. She's going to stick around the whole way. I forgot who told me that, but, man, that was scary. Then we have the other subway crime issue. We're actually going to have, this is a huge guest. I'm sticking around till 11 o'clock, 10.15. This is why the 10 o'clock hour this week is going to be so amazing. 10.15, the chief of transit, the man in charge of the subways for the NYPD. And I'll be honest, I'll be transparent. He's a dear friend of mine, him and his wife, Michael Kemper, and his lovely wife, Marilyn. Michael will join me coming up at 10.15 this morning. But I think the quote of the day, or the cut of the day, was the second piece you heard right after Trump talked about this ridiculous ruling that came down in New York last week 
$355 million. You heard Trump's attorney, the lovely Alina Haba, say he's got it. We got the money. We have to post it, unfortunately, in the next couple of days. We'll appeal this in the next 30 days. But right after that uh, that cut, you heard from Kevin O'Leary. Kevin, along with Mark Cuban and a host of others, is one of the stars of Shark Tank. He's a genius businessman. And he gave New York, and I only wish Letitia James, that racist douchebag, would listen to this show. She never would. But Kevin O'Leary gave New York such an ass beating, and I loved it. Don't forget, folks, I had a dream situation. I was talking sports. There was no pressure. I was living in a beautiful house on the water with my own pool. Four bedrooms, eight miles from the beach. And although not nearly the amount of love I get here, enough love for 30 years down in Boca Raton. And I just couldn't wait to get back to New York. And that's why they say sometimes be careful what you wish for. So I came back in 2016 to work alongside my late partner, the great Bernard McGurk. And I've been here for eight years since. And I've seen it. I've seen the decline, and it's gross. And while we talk about Eric Adams and Bill de Blasio and the homeless and the crime and the illegals, what Donald Trump went through a couple of days ago may be the biggest, the biggest blemish of all. And Kevin O'Leary talked about it in the open. He said, of all the states in the country, he has now labeled New York as the biggest loser state here. Worth playing again, Lewis. Kevin O'Leary, cut number four. This is about the competition of states. I thought before this judgment that the number one loser state in America was California, which is basically putting itself out of business slowly and surely. But after this judgment, I'm going to make New York the number one loser state, followed by California, then Massachusetts, New Jersey, Michigan. These are places where taxes are not competitive. Delaware, for example, is now on the loser state list because it's unstable policy on the Elon Musk decision. You don't have to put your money into places where this kind of thing happens. Each of us as investors, we vote with our capital. Why punish a great state because it doesn't happen to be on the east or west coast? I say go to Florida, go to Texas, go to North Dakota, Oklahoma, West Virginia. These are winner states. Why go to a loser state like New York? Oh, my God. Kevin O'Leary right there. Okay, folks, a huge guest list about to come your way this hour. Hour, I should say, Cara Castronova. She's going to run, hopefully, against Kirsten Gillibrand for Senate. She's got to beat Mike Sapriconi first in the primary. Cara Castronova will join us at 645. Curtis Sliwa, the man, the great one himself, comes your way at 715. My man, Christopher Mad Dog Russo, part of that legendary Mike and the Mad Dog combination. Mets and Yankees, they're ready to play each open spring training on Saturday. Mets will take on the Cardinals. The Yankees will take on the Tigers. We'll talk to Mad Dog Russo coming up at 740. Rudy Giuliani coming up at 845. Bill O'Reilly going to make two stops this week, Tuesday and Thursday. He'll join me this morning coming up at 915. My friend Hadass Levy. She's down in Florida on her way to CPAC. She's got a brand new song out. She's one of Donald Trump's buddies. 
She's going to sing that song on the show coming up at 945. And then, as I mentioned, the chief of transit, Mr. Subways for the NYPD, my good buddy Michael Kemper. He'll be here at 1015. The number is always 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. A five-hour extravaganza with me, Sid Rosenberg, only right here. Talk Radio 77, W-A-B-C. With a phony gas chamber Cause one's got a weasel And other's got a flag One's on the pole Shove the other in the bag With the rerun shows And the cocaine nose jug The daytime crap Of the folk singer's club He hung himself With a guitar string A slab of turkey neck And it's hanging From a pigeon wing I can't write If you can't relate Trade the cash For the beef For the body For the hate And my time Is a piece of wax Falling on a termite it's choking on the splinters. Friends in the morning, 77 WABC. So, Sid, you go over to Israel. You went to uh, you went to the site where that festival was being held, and tell me what you saw. Tell me what went through your mind and your heart. I, uh, I'm sorry, I get I get very choked up when I think about that day. But yeah. what I saw, Mark, was um, was horrendous. You know, um, just imagine Woodstock, 1969. Just imagine Coachella, any one of the many, many concerts that our youngsters, I've got a 19-year-old daughter, go to in our country. And just imagine a bunch of beautiful kids dancing and having a great time. And then moments into the concert, men showing up with machine guns and RPGs and knives. And they didn't just kill these people at that concert, Mark. That would have been bad enough. They threw the girls to the ground ripped their clothes off. Five of them, six of them, raped them at a time, carved off their breasts, and eventually when they were done with these beautiful young girls, they shot them in the head. So when you go there now, what you see is a bunch of sticks. Now on the top of these sticks are eight by tens with their faces. And at the bottom of these sticks, you'll find your side candles. You'll find lighters. You'll find slippers, whatever they had with them that day. And I mean this, Mark, you'll never see more beautiful people. I don't know what it is about the Israeli people. I'm talking about physically pleasing. The men, the women, just beautiful people, murdered, butchered, raped, humiliated in their prime. And that's what's left at the Nova Music Festival. So when you hear people in the streets that are marching with the Palestinians, shutting down our universities, blocking our bridges and tunnels, and sympathizing with Hamas, they should just make that trip and take a look. Because I swear, when I arrive there, you can hear the music in the background. It's that eerie. You can almost see the faces smiling and the kids dancing. 
And now they're left to eight by tens on a stick. That's Aretha Franklin, <laughs> the great Steely Dan here. Donald Fagan, of course, he's a lead singer. That was uh, some more of me and Levin. I'm going to play a lot throughout this morning show today of me and Levin from last night because he's the great one, and according to him, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> it's sometimes I just can't. I have to check if my headphones are working well, correctly. It's hard to believe. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's harder to believe for me, this friendship. And I have to tell you, that Sunday night during the NBA All-Star game, when I shut that off to put Levin's show on, we texted each other for about 20 minutes. Oh, I would have rather heard Levin than the NBA All-Star game. No, I didn't watch the game. I watched the pregame, and it was awful. Oh, my God. That is the worst thing that could be on television. Like I said yesterday, I don't know why anybody (laughs) finds... That stupid show with Mumbling Shaq and Barkley who goes up on these wild tangents. Well, you can't understand Barkley yet either. I know. And Kenny Smith is just angry because he doesn't get the amount of um, pub that those two guys get. Right. Ernie Johnson's a nice enough guy, but it is awful. But I'm not sure what uh, what shocks me more, this Levin-Rosenberg friendship or the fact that Donald Trump picked up uh, Andrew Giuliani's cell phone on Friday and spent 10 minutes on the phone with me. That's terrible. It's unbelievable. You weren't even uh, here yesterday to hear that story. Uh, what, what He did what? He Oh, oh, he talked to you on the phone. Yes, he did. From yes. the golf course or something? Yeah, well, Giuliani and him were playing golf. Okay. And uh, Andrew goes, hold on, someone wants to say hello. And the next voice I heard was President Trump. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, this is some alternate universe that's going on. I Last week I had dinner I with, uh, with the mayor, Eric Adams. Tomorrow night I've got a, a very high-profile, high-powered dinner. Over at Rosanna Scotto's restaurant. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Oh, you're very busy. I was just talking about the Giants with Mark Melusis. Mm. And now what? No, no. You could you could use a different comparison. <laughs> yeah. different, <laughs> talking talking sports at Mark Melusis is easy. Yeah. That's you're not, right. Not compared to what the, some of the things I saw. You're Are right. You no, no, you saw some crazy things. Mark Melusis could just sit there and go, <laughs> that's funny, Sid. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like, okay, got to get up because the cab's outside. Let's go. But you got to pay the bill first. Well, you got to pay. Well, how and much is the bill? Four hundred bucks. I don't have it. Ask Ed Coleman. Uh, and now, now fast forward. Hello, Sid. I'm on the seventh hole right now. Everything looks. This is the greenest grass ever. How's it going in New York? I can't wait for you to get down here. It's gonna be great. Everything's great. You he know, actually Sid, did I say that. He said to Giuliani. He said, "When are we getting Sid down here?" All your support's fantastic. You know, you're great. You're wonderful. I love you. So I'm gonna go down and see the president. 
resident in Mar-a-Lago in a couple of weeks to watch the uh, Scott Lobato film, The Relentless Patriot, and we've already got lunch plans, mm-hmm. just me and the president. I swear to God, you can, this is just, uh, it's unreal. But but uh, who's, it's not Donald Fagan's birthday today, is it? Oh, um, back to that. Oh, Walter Becker, the bass guitarist. Oh, the player. bass guitarist, yes. You know, he's born in Queens. I didn't even know that. How about that? 1950. So he, uh, like Donald Trump, yes. born in Queens. Yes. Governor Andrew Cuomo. Right. <laughs> born in Queens. You're not going to get his phone calls because no. he's dead. But... <laughs> oh, Walter Becker or Cuomo? <laughs> Cuomo, I think, is alive. I definitely got a text from him not that long ago. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. But Becker's dead? Yeah, Walter Becker died. All right. Well, 2017. That's, that's, that's yeah, that's sad. That's sad. Sorry to say. Sad. 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 You're, you're, you're missing these great Levin stories. <laughs> 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 Levin. That's I right. Know, I don't know who's luckier right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a big guest list today, too. It's not just about Levin and Rosenberg. Again, Kara Castronova, Curtis Sliwa, Christopher Mad Dog Russo, Rudy Giuliani, Michael Kemper, Hadass Levy, and Bill O'Reilly all stopping by today. Well, how about that? But before we get to Joe Nolan, for the first time today, we're going to talk to, no, we're going to uh, listen to the 77 WABC clip of the day. Listen to the Cats Roundtable. That's it, my man, John Katzmatidis. That's a great show. That's where common sense prevails. Always telling both sides of the story. It's every Sunday morning starting at 8 or listen anytime on the 77 WABC app. Here, John talks with Congresswoman Claudia Tenney about the border. You know, after 9-11, we had this uh, ability and finally the interoperability between all of our law enforcement to try to really protect us. And now we have, you know, this in- impossibility in New York State with our law enforcement from protecting us because of these laws that we have, uh, the sanctuary state law, uh, sanctuary state law, the, the fact that these federal laws um, prevent us from getting anywhere with them, the, the retainer law, you know, detainer law. Uh, these are really tough issues, and that's why you're seeing this huge uh, amount of number, numbers coming across the northern border. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour, a sports update sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They are the world's best built of boilers. News out of Brooklyn ahead of the uh, second half of the NBA season. Getting underway later this week after firing coach Jacques Vaughn. The Brooklyn Nets are promoting assistant Kevin Ollie to interim head coach. Ollie will run the Nets practice today and start his head coaching duties on Thursday against the Toronto Raptors. Sources have said the Nets have 28 regular season games left on their schedule. Looking ahead to ice hockey action tonight, given the local absence of action yesterday. The Rangers, Islanders, and Devils will all drop 7 p.m. pucks tonight as they return indoors. At the Garden, the Rangers will welcome in the Dallas Stars while the Islanders visit the Penguins in Pittsburgh and the Devils face off with the Capitals in D.C. More developing news out of St. John's where head coach Rick Pitino said yesterday he stands by the criticism he leveled at his team Sunday night after the Red Storm blew a 19-point first half lead in a 68-62 home loss to Tri-State rival and fellow bubble team Seton Hall, the Hall of Fame coach in his first season at St. John's. He didn't hold back during a post-game news conference in which he questioned his players' toughness and mentioned several by name while describing their athletic shortcomings. He said this is the worst time he's been having over the course of his uh, 
storied, long career. But speaking of Newsday yesterday, insisted that he, quote, truly wasn't ripping anybody. He was pointing out exactly in a monotone voice why he thinks his guys are losing. St. John's, they started 12-4, and including wins over Utah, Xavier, Butler, Villanova, and Providence. But the wheels have fallen off since then, with the Red Storm going 2-8 and eight in their past 10 games to fall to ninth place in the Big East. This has to be the longest St. John's story since Chris Mullen beat Patrick Ewing in Georgetown. It's Just play the damn Rick Pitino cut and move on. They beat Butler? Well, I didn't want to play the cut. That's why I... Uh... <laughs> but you could have saved all this extra verbiage. Uh, which, and I got to tell you, right now, nobody cares about St. John's. So just play the cut. This is a big story. Uh, you, you, no. you, you got Butler out of Utah, Xavier, Villanova, yeah, and Providence. Not, no. That's what you got? You it, pulled Butler out of those four? Not even a big story in Queens. <laughs> nobody cares. Okay. And I'm, I'm a St. John's fan, so and nobody cares. So we won't even play the cut. Sports, sponsored no, by no, Pete Morgan. Play the damn cut. Oh. Play this, uh, Lou. Play number 11, <laughs> Rick Pitino. Just like toughness. It's really the, all the toughness things of why we give up leads. We are so non-athletic that we can't guard anybody without fouling. And really it's not about losing. Because even in winning, winning when we watch the film, I see unathletic plays. I, I see people that don't handle no, no, the ball. It's okay, just interesting. I mean, did, did he bring these kids in? Or? You, missed, you missed the best part. Like, you've not been waiting for you know the, the, the best the part is? of the cut. It, he it's said, over. That's the best part of the He uh, literally says, yeah. I'm having the worst time I've ever oh, had coaching God, in my cares, career. Buddy. This is this is, right. this is a Hall of Fame coach who had great success at, yeah. at spots like Louisville, Massachusetts, Kentucky, trying to light a fire under his players' asses. Of course he doesn't mean that. Okay. He's at St. John's making a ton of money mm-hmm. uh, for a sport that no one cares about anymore. Nobody. They've ruined college basketball. They're, they're starting to do it to college football. They really are. I mean, you got quarterbacks in college football that are now playing for their third university in four years. Third in four years. Yeah. But college basketball with these kids leaving after one year, you just don't know who these teams are, who these players are. So Rick Patino having the worst time of his life, making millions and millions of dollars, and I love Rick, needs to est. T F U. I thought you didn't care. Well, none. No, I don't care. Oh. Got it. Okay. That was a long-winded answer for somebody who doesn't care. Shut up. Just finish this. Sports I'm sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com or tankless.com. That was the <laughs> longest yeah. critique My I ever. My God. <laughs> you find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. I'm Justin Halleck on 77 WABC. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at at info at GoboLaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Entertaining and informative. This 
is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Please welcome champion boxer, investigative journalist, and founder of Citizens Against Political Persecution and Liberate New York, Cara Castanova. When I was a young boxer training for fights, I believed that winning championships was my ultimate goal. But I now realize I was training and conditioning my mind and body all these years for a greater fight. This fight that we're all here for, this fight for medical freedom and personal liberty. That is the real fight. Never stop fighting. When you get knocked down, I know it sounds cliche, get back up again. We have a long fight. We are prepared now for this fight. We will not back down. We will not give up. We will keep fighting. To all my freedom fighters out there, I love you. Thank you so much for fighting this fight with me for medical freedom. USA! 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 This is the United States of America. It is not communist China. Keep fighting. I'm Kara Kashinova. Thank you so much. of the tiger yesterday's new york post the biggest loser trainer and former boxer launches new york senate bid to knock out kirsten gillenbrand oh i can't stand kirsten gillenbrand i happen to really like my next guest and her name is cara Kashanova. you may remember cara uh, did run for state assembly back in 2022 she did lose to democrat Michelle Solages in the blue 22nd district, although she did receive 42% of the vote, which was a very impressive loss, if that can be. So here she is, my friend Cara Castronova. Cara, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sid. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's great to have you. Look, uh, there's a lot at play here. First of all, to be completely transparent, you and I are friends. You and uh, me and Johnny Tobacco are good friends. And I can't stand... Kirsten Gillibrand. So there's a lot of reasons why I want you to win. But, of course, before you get to Gillibrand, you'd have to win the primary. And I know that Long Island is banking on Michael Sapraconi. Tell me why you think you're going to beat him even to get to Kirsten Gillibrand. Well, first, to even go to a primary with Mike, next, this week is the New York State Convention where we're going to go up there and the 62 New York chairs are going to vote. And if somebody, I mean, if Somebody gets 25% of the weighted votes, and they automatically could go into the primary. So that's what I'm funding to do this week, and that is on Thursday. So I've been talking to chairs around the county, and Staten Island, the great borough of Staten Island, uh, endorsed me. So they're behind me, and we're working on getting some other chairs to endorse me so I could get to 25%. I think um, that primaries are healthy. I think voters like primaries. You know, they like to have options. And I think, uh, you know, me and Mike would both be great options. I think I'm the better person to beat 
to beat Jill Brandt because, you know, I'm a fighter, I'm a female. I think uh, this should be a woman-to-woman race uh, in order to really win. I think we live in the state of New York where I'm able to reach a lot of minorities the way that I did in my uh, race in uh, 22 for the assembly where I got 42% of the vote in a district that usually gets about 29% of the conservative vote just because I make so many inroads when it comes to minorities and uh, independent voters and, and women, of course. So I think that I can really beat her. I think this is the year to beat Gillibrand. She's been in there since she was appointed when Hillary Clinton vacated the office, and she's been there ever since. And she hasn't been a good voice for New York. She votes for really dumb Democrat policies. You know, she doesn't use the platform effectively to fight for New Yorkers in Washington, D.C. So it's time for her to go. And I think I am the perfect candidate to knock her out of office. Kara Kashanova, as uh, she told you, she's been endorsed by the Staten Island Republican Party. Love all those guys. Uh, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, my friend Roger Stone, and uh, me, the most important of all. She's got Sid Rosenberg's endorsement. Well, thank you, Sid. You're I welcome. I found out about that just now. Thank you. I really <laughs> you're welcome. Now, I know your father was a legitimate hero, a decorated Vietnam veteran. I know how you feel about the Second Amendment. I feel the same way. Now, Michael Sapriconi talks an awful lot. Again, I'm assuming you get the 25% and you go up against Mike. Michael talks an awful lot about gun control. So uh, what is your stance, Kara, on 2A? I'm a First Amendment. I mean, I'm a big advocate of the First, Second, and all the amendments in the Constitution. That includes uh, every American's right to own a gun. Um, I don't own a gun personally. I do intend to own one one day, and I always want to have that option. So I'm very much in support of the Second Amendment. I also know that uh, you're really the only candidate that is running as the Trump America First candidate. I'm not sure why Republicans these days don't attach themselves to Trump. I know that the Trump detractors will tell you that he doesn't win. Look at the Senate races. Look at the governor races in the last couple of years. But I'm going to tell you something right now. He is on fire. He's got this incredible momentum. And I think it's smart to attach yourself to Donald Trump. You've done that. I'm not sure Trump is aware of that. But either way, I think that's the right move. No, it is. And I mean, I'm America first. I'm a big you know, supporter of President Trump. He's the leader of our party, a supporter of his policies, especially. They they did really well. I mean, look at what's happening right now with Joe Biden. Um, and I think it's it's just silly not to acknowledge that Trump is, you know, was a great president and that I would love to go to the Senate and to be able to support him and all of the great things that he did in Washington, D.C. Um, I have a lot of support from the America First uh, Patriot movement. I have been getting so many calls and so many uh, words of encouragement from them, um, retweets by the likes of the great General Flynn. You know, um, so I, I really think that people, that's what the people want here in the state of New York, especially more than ever before. Um, I know that you probably saw the viral video that I did when I was in the Bronx speaking to minority voters who were screaming Trump 2024 from mm. the streets of the Bronx, that's literally right. Trump 2024. So that's when I really started to realize that the tables were turning, that, the, you know, the inner cities are wide open for voters. I mean, for somebody to come in and to talk to these voters, you know, obviously as a Republican and make them realize that Republicans aren't who they think they are. They're for the people. They're for the minorities. They're for the in their cities. They're for the people in upstate New York who don't want to be forgotten. All the Republicans who are upstate that feel like they no longer have a voice in Washington, D.C., because their representatives aren't representing who they are, which are, you know, true conservatives, uh, America first patriots. 
So that's the person I want to be. I want to be able to represent all of the people of the state of New York and fight for them in a way that no no one's ever fought for them in a long time. In the uh, final minute here, Kara Kashanova, I know you co-founded the group Citizens Against Political Persecution. You advocated for the alleged January 6th pro-Trump rioters. There in the Capitol building, you've represented a bunch of those people that, quite frankly, have been treated worse than serial killers and rapists. Makes no sense. And you devoted a lot of time to that. So I know that Trump loves that. I love that. Talk to me a little bit about those years, the last couple of years, and all the work you put into that project. Yeah, the last couple of years has taught me, it, you know, what it, mean, it feels like to just really fight for, for people that have no voice. You talk about having no voice. Those are the people that are still sitting in D.C. today in jail three years after January 6th with no due process, haven't even had a trial yet, uh, are allowed to make limited phone calls. So those are people that don't have a voice, and I've effectively raised millions of dollars for them and fought like hell for them, even when it was unpopular a few years ago when people told me I was crazy, I never gave up. And that's like literally the type of training I've been doing my whole life, things like that fighting for the voiceless to give them a voice in the same way that I want to do for the Republican Party here in New York and for everybody in the state of New York and just to you know make New York a great state again I think it's obviously a great state but to make it better and give us the representation that we need in Washington DC and the senator that we deserve which is me who I think is the best candidate to beat Kirsten Gillibrand and that's all I care about is beating her all right, well, listen, good luck at the convention on Thursday. I'm sure you'll get that 25%. I look forward to your primary against Sapriconi, a race against Gillibrand. Keep talking, Kara Kashanova. Great job. Talk to you again on Friday when you get those votes. Thank you so much. Thanks. Kara Kashanova right there running against, uh, well, it'll be Kristen Gillibrand eventually, but of course, she's got to get that 25% coming up at the convention on Thursday, then beat Michael Sapriconi in the primary, then we'll go after Gillibrand, who has been in office way too long. How that lady has won consecutive terms, I have no idea. That wraps up a great hour number one. With a big hour number two about to come your way, we're going to talk to two of the all-time greats, Curtis Sliwa, and break down the new season for the Mets and the Yankees with the legend himself, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Sliwa and Mad Dog coming up next hour. Friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Got the payback. So you guys know that uh, Brian Kilmeade is off this week. That means I get the extra hour, 10 to 11. Curtis gets an extra hour, 11 to noon. And Curtis ordinarily would get all three hours, 10 to 1. But management decided that they'd be better off with me doing that hour.
I haven't seen the numbers from yesterday. Or I have. You don't know the answer to that. But I know they were really good. But on a serious note here, the uh, extra hour today, one of the biggest stories in New York today is subway crime. Now, my friend Michael Kemper is doing a great job as the transit chief. How do I know that? They're making more arrests than ever. (coughs) It's not his fault that this city allows these animals to go right back on the street 10 minutes later. That's not Michael Kemper's fault. So two things are at play here. One, Curtis is still going to bury my friend. I know that. But I got an email yesterday from some dumb lady. I think her name was uh, Dorothy Furman. So this uh, this dumb lady heard Curtis complaining that I got the fifth hour when he thought he should get all three hours. So she sent me this really nasty email, and she goes, you are such a backstabber. You got your producer fired. I have no idea who she's talking about. And then she goes on to say, and you took the hour from Curtis when he needs the money and you don't. I said, first of all, sweetheart, I took nothing. This was a management decision based on the fact that as great as Curtis is, I'm the best at the station. The ratings say it. Everything says it. Curtis lines up behind me. That's a fact. So don't get mad at me because they made the smart move. So now Curtis comes in this morning, and he's already got a load, a load of issues with my final hour, with Michael Kemper, with a whole bunch of stuff. So where do you want to start, tough guy? Now, let's start with uh, me critiquing your extra hour. Yeah. That segment of the day was 10.50 a.m. yesterday morning, my very last segment, when I went off on the whole Israel thing. That was the smartest and best segment of the whole day on ABC. Trust me, you were out of gas. I could see. <laughs> Not even I could close. see you were on vapors. Not on even vapors. close. I mean, and look, by the way, did my show and still had an amazing 30-minute appearance on Mark Levin's show yesterday. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden, your best friends were Mark Levin. Before October 7th, he was dreck to you, total dreck to you. You, What do you think? I forget that, Sid Rosenberg? Now he's your best linesman, your best buddy. You're texting him like 20 minutes back and forth. Face it, you're just a thoroughbred. You're like Seabiscuit. You're not a Clydesdale like Curtis Lewa. And I could tell in your inflection, your voice, you you needed every ounce of energy in your last 10-minute spiel about Israel. <laughs> then you had to go to the gym. You had to bang some dumbbells yeah. because you were t- completely depleted yeah. of your testosterone. I thought you were going to go out there and be a girly man yeah. because you had too much estrogen and no <laughs> testosterone. I could hear it. You see, the, the woofers and the tweeters on the terrestrial radio don't lie, Sid Rosenberg. You can't do the extra hour. I don't know why you're doing this to yourself, you're actually going to run yourself right into the radio ground, and it's going to impair you in the future. Sid, just give up that extra hour. Let me do what I always do when, when Kilometers Away. I Fine. always do it two hours. You know what? I have to come back into the city tonight, because I'm taking my son to see the Rangers play the Dallas Stars. What? Dallas? Well, what is wrong with you? I don't know. I've got a long day. Pete Morgan gave me the tickets, so I'm going to appease you. And I'm going to give up that hour right now. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. it. It's yeah, yours. Yeah, yeah, All right. It's Back all yours. Back to where it ought to be uh, it's all with yours. Curtis Lee. Now, now, if you get a text from John Katsimatidis and or Chad Lopez that says, bad idea, then there's nothing I can do about it. No, let me tell you something. Uh, the real war isn't with you. You're just... Uh, 
You're just an impediment to what's really going on here. What is that? I have thrown the gauntlet down, and remember what I've told management and our owners and operators. I never want to hear Andrew Evilice Cuomo on the station again. He had a run of about seven appearances. He said nothing. He never apologized to Iceland, Immigration and Naturalization Service. I have said, if he comes on again, and he does not apologize to ICE and what he did in opening up the borders and allowing all these bad hombres in, including with the terrorists, then I'm walking out of here. So that, that, that's it. That's it. This is never going to be always broadcasting Cuomo. It is never going to be always broadcasting <laughs> Cuomo over my dead body. Well, it's not going to be always. I'd rather have a job hanging wallpaper someplace. But it's not going to be always broadcasting Cuomo because he's got the same aspirations you have. He wants to be the next mayor. Well, let's get it on. Why not? <laughs> stage, right? St- what we have? Stage seven? Right? Stage uh, seven, yes. Why not? 77, I think. All right. Yeah. 77 Sunset yeah. Strip. How about a debate between me and Cuomo? Well, you have to get to the, the part where he is the presumptive nominee, and so are you, don't well, you? Wait, 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 say, no, hasn't everybody no. been saying, oh, if he would have run, yeah. he would be ahead? Let's get it on. Next time he comes in, Curtis Lewa and Andrew Evilice Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo the first. Hey, Andrew, I know you're listening. I send him a duty. Like your father, you are. Come on, come on in here. Be a man, grow a pair. But where is this uh, all coming from, this Andrew Cuomo stuff? As far as I know, he doesn't have any dates coming up on this station any time in the near future. Well, because I've thrown the gauntlet down, and you know what John Katsimatidis did? He took me out of left versus right with Anthony Weiner. He substituted for me, and then he put Roger Stone in, and he told me, hey, you're like the bat boy of the Ferry Hawks out in Staten Island. <laughs> Get to the bullpen. I don't want to see. Well, here's the problem. And again, no one says nicer things about you than I do, evidenced by the fact that you're on every day on my show all week long. But with you and Wiener, it, it became like a love fest. I mean, that guy comes on the radio every weekend, and I have nothing against him personally. You know what he did? He did. And, you know, he and I had some very, very emotional conversations. I heard it. it was great radio. Yeah, and he cried. And I mean, listen, I, I, I don't think he's an evil person. I don't. He's done some really crappy stuff, really crappy. But what he says on the weekend, he should be taken outside and literally beat the hell out of. And uh, you didn't really beat his ass all that much. So while Katz Matidis came in and started yelling at the guy, and Roger Stone, he basically threatens his life. Well, the most, That's what you need on that show. Well, the most important part, you forgot, Sid. Come on, you forgot your roots. Their ratings were better than mine with Anthony Weiner. Is that true? It is true. <laughs> yeah. So I've been relegated to being the bad boy for the Ferry Hawks. Uh, so let me, let me do a pivot and shift out of this. <laughs> yeah. You were sitting with my very dear friend, Zeb Brenner, and his family on Friday night for Chabas, right? That is correct. We had a, uh, his beautiful wife, Adina, made a wonderful dinner. Fifteen people, including me and Danielle. Our third Shabbos dinner since October the 7th. We've now gone to the Traymans. We've gone to the West End Temple and now the Brenners. And your name did come up more than once. And they loved you at that table. By the way, you're going to go back to the Second Avenue Deli, which is on First Avenue. Try to th- I thought Juice was smart. Hey, come to the Second Avenue Deli, but we're on First Avenue. <laughs> anyway, let me get back to Zeb Brenner. Talk line communication. Do you know that I did a show from the original WLIR, which is our FM station now, Two-watt station, right in Muncie, 
Ask the Gentile for <laughs> Jeff Brenner's talk line communication. That could not have been the name. Was that really yes. the name? Yeah. Ask, ask Jeff, the Gentile. Ask the Gentile. So <laughs> here are all these guys originally from Williamsburg calling me up in Yiddish. And I had Yitzhak, who was the board operator, the phone screener, talking into my earphones, translating the Yiddish. Oh, then God. I would answer in Eng- English. And they would say, Curtis. How the hell do you know what I was talking about? I'd say, you know, if you work retail, you pick up a lot of Yiddish. Ask the Gentile. And I was explaining all the things about Gentiles, why we hate Jews. You know, Adina actually said to me at the Shabbos dinner that night, she's Zeb Brenner's wife. She goes, man, it is amazing how much Curtis Sliwa knows, whether he's talking about Brooklyn, Queens, Israel. She heard all the shows in Israel. She was astounded by how much you know. And just so you know, uh, Mr. Gentile, Saturday night, after the Shabbos dinner on Friday, Zeb wanted me to come on his show Saturday night. But as you know, he starts late, well after Shabbos. So my appearance wasn't until 11, 10 p.m. Eastern time. But I went on with Zeb Brenner on Saturday night. So Zeb Brenner Saturday, Mark Levin Monday. I think I'm living up to the moniker you gave me, yes. the king of all Jews. I've been on Zeb Brenner's show many times after Chavez, and, you know, all, all hey, Cur- Curtis, this is, you know, remember me, Aaron from Borough Park, remember that? <laughs> Aaron, you want me to lie to you like a typical politician? How the hell can I remember you? You remember me with the black hat. You all had black hats. <laughs> it is, when I do these shows with the Orthodox or the Hasidim, it is great. Curtis, you ask the Gentile. Now, you mentioned 1105. Let me take you back. There was a performance we never gave cred where cred was due at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue, an amazing night honoring you, the new King David. I think this guy is potentially the next Jerry Seinfeld, Dan Noderman. I think it's Natureman. Natureman. Either way, I agree. He, oh, my he God. He blew us away. <laughs> he was hilarious. Ladies and gentlemen, Sid was hitting me on the back so hard, I had to go for a chiropractic adjustment. And oh, I said, 40 minutes the guy did. And I wanted more. In fact, Justin, uh, you have to book this guy. Curtis is bringing up a great point. This guy, Dan Natureman, you laughed your ass off, too, the comedian. Oh, my God. He, he was, was great. so good. Oh, so good. And all spontaneous, all improv. He was working off the crowd. But respectful, there are a lot of orthodox with it, unlike that rapper there. I never want to hear that guy again. Kosher dills. Oh, my God. Let me tell you something. I was the world champion eating kosher dill pickles. I would have spit that out. I was a four-time kosher dill pickle-eating champion of the world. You've won all these competitions. At this original Second Avenue Deli that was actually on Second Avenue in the Lower East Side. Where you need to be corrected, though, is that you're wrong about the Jewish rappers. There's one who happens to be not good but great. His name is Matis Yahu, and he is a great Jewish rapper. Listen, you great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, I mean, he's not Run DMC. No, no, I'm talking. <laughs> if, if, if you ain't Beastie Boys quality, I don't want to hear it, please. Look, he, he's Beastie Boys quality. Let me tell you something. Matis Yahu. You, you know what it is. It's like you're going to have your guest on. Uh, you called him Mr. Subway. I took great offense to that. When you rode with me into the hood, Brownsville never, never ran, never would. East New York, Junior Street, New Lots Avenue. You saw the love the brothers and sisters gave me from I the did. projects. I did. And you saw, I'm Mr. Subway. Now all of a sudden you got a newfound friend, the transit police commissioner, and like I'm a person of no consequence no, no, when no, it comes no, to no. the subways. I, I love you, but you don't have the job right now. That's Michael Kemper's job. And, and let me just say this. 
because no one respects you more than me, and I think you'd be the best mayor ever, right there with Rudy Giuliani, if and when you win next time. But even you, and no one knows the subways more than you, but even you can't fix it, because unless Albany changes this bail reform nonsense, unless these criminals stay in jail and aren't let out 15 minutes after they commit a crime, how are you going to fix the subways if you arrest people and they'll let back out 15 minutes later? Look, you got to ask Transit Police Commissioner Kemper, because he's one of your linesmen. That's why you're so close to him, right? Happens to be hey, look, hey, look, <laughs> you know damn well that when he had his bar mitzvah and he said to his booby, Zeta, oh, I want to be a cop. She said, what a cop? You want to be with the Irish? They hate you. You got to be a doctor or a lawyer. You're a good Jewish boy. It's exactly what your mom and dad said to you that yes. you should be sure. Dr. Sidney Rosenberg. Yes. You first prescribed, prescribed uh, ivermectin to me when, when I had the scabies and I didn't want to know. Now I got Norwegian scabies. It's gotten 10 times worse. Yeah, you know that. He had his bar mitzvah, right? All of a sudden, oh, mom, uh, dad, and uh, grandma, grandpa, I want to be a, I want to be a cop. But you know what that says? Because you're right. Every Jewish parent wants their kid to be a doctor. So I went to University of Miami back in 1984. With that in mind, instead, I became a pharmacist and I did the drugs. But, uh, but I'm serious. Nobody nobody (laughs) studies at the University (laughs) of Miami. That's a party school. No, that was, it was even rougher back then. That's when Bernie Kosar was winning national championships. But, but, but it it goes to show you how tough Michael Kemper is because he is Jewish. I know him. His parents wanted to be a doctor. He's a tough, Top. Hey, wait a second. Yeah. I know him. Yeah. 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 75th Precinct, he was in charge, largest precinct in the city, East New York. Yeah. You got to do the shit out. But I would ask him <laughs> one thing. Yeah. All these crimes, to me, the worst, you're on the number four train, you're looking out the front window, you know, like kids always like to look out. Gee, I could be Choo Choo Charlie the Engineer. Good and plenty, plenty good. Mommy, Daddy, is that a leg down on the subway tracks? Nah, it's got to be a mannequin. You know, a mannequin's like, it turned out a human leg was down on the tracks. That's how bad it's gotten in the Bronx. You're riding the number four train, the Muggers Express. You don't have to worry about just getting mugged on the train, shot in Mount Eden by a bunch of drill-wrapping thugs. You see a human leg out on the track, and nobody knows whose leg it is. Hey, did anybody lose? Who's the leg here in the South Bronx? <laughs> you gotta ask, look, you gotta do a shirach between me and Michael Kemmer. I'm willing to assist him in the transit police who don't have enough personnel. Uh, to actually help try to control well, some well, of this. Are you being serious about I this? I am. You know me. I Be- love the subways. Because you reached out. You had uh, this, um, it wasn't even a feud, but the great attorney from my neighborhood, my dear friend Joe Murray, yes. was representing all the people that tried to kill you. Yes. And uh, But now you guys have become really good friends. So I believe you when you say, even if you're critical of somebody or angry at somebody, you could put all that behind you oh, because you love the city. Yeah, how about this? So I will take you and Michael Kemper to Casa Cipriani no, no, no. and we'll sit down. That's that's too high budget for me, too high, bro. <laughs> Second Avenue Deli on First Avenue. I know the owners. They love us. And I can brag about how I was the four-time uh, dill garlic pickle eating champion of the world. <laughs> Jewish pickles Nasty. that were made in the South Bronx. I hold that title. I will always be the pickle eating champion. Just don't light up a match when you're near me oh, because we'll all be blown I, to I kingdom to, come. Uh, I used to go to the Avenue I flea market. That place in Brooklyn many, many years ago. And you'd walk in and there'd be these huge barrels. 
There's a huge flea market. There'd be these huge barrels of pickles. So now you've won pickle eating contests. Yes. You competed in the hot dog eating contest. Third, at Nathan's. third, third one year. Third one year. Cheated. And I there might was, add there cheated. was something else you got competed in. A matzo ball eating contest <laughs> at Ben's Kosher Deli. I finished second to a guy named Steve Brock. And all of a sudden, the, uh, it was Raul Felder who was the judge. Remember the divorce attorney? Oh, yes. They went to the back room to the burning bush, and they said, this Gentile can't finish second. He grew up eating meatballs. He never <laughs> ate a matzo ball in his life. They gave me the sinkers, oh, and they no. gave all the little Jewish boys the floaters. <laughs> and some guy, Steve Brock from Howard Beach, who now lives in Hamilton Beach, beat me. And then they disqualified me because they said I squeezed all the matzo ball juice out and then stuffed it down my hatchet. They said, you can't eat matzo balls that way. I got disqualified at Ben's Kosher Deli. I can't believe it. And you know the other thing that differentiates you from me is I side with Wrong Way Lou Rafino. I go to Brothers on Cross Bay Boulevard while you go to Landy's in Mill Basin. That's right. I'm a brother's boy. I go to Landy's and I go to Sea Tide for my fish right oh. by Ralph Avenue. And I go to Lenny's Clam Bar. Remember the advertisements late at night for Lenny's Clam Bar? The brothers, the What sister? are you nuts? Do you know the owner of Lenny's Clam Bar, Joe? I'm his favorite host in the world. Those are all my places. Hey, I go I go to the Cross Bay Diner along with George's Diner Oasis, of course. All those places are my places. Yeah, but you went to Aldo's and not New Park Pizzeria. I don't want to bring that up. There's some people that are going on trial for being at Aldo's because they owe the Bonanno crime family a big... Hey, by the way, Eric Adams was there. What the hell is he doing there with the Bonanno guys, huh? You want me to bring that up, too? You started this. I'm going to finish it. You're going to run out of gas. And up to 11 o'clock, John, Marco Katzmatidis, if you're listening, Chad Lopez, you want to stay, save your thoroughbred. You got your Clydesdale, Curtis Lewa, who should have been doing all the kill me two hours this week right here on WABC. Get ready, this is sit in friends in the morning 77 wabc i've loved you for years uh we had that little tiff for a couple of months uh, but whether you're jewish or not if you love this country if you love Israel, and I mean this sincerely, there is no better or bigger voice in the country, in the world today than Mark Levin. I am honored to call you a friend, and we're very lucky to have you, whether it's radio or TV, talking to us every day. We need you now, Mark Levin, more than ever. This is why I love Sid, not because he praises me, but this is a man who's full of passion and intelligence, and now you know why people want to listen to him. Sid, God bless you, my brother, and take care of yourself. You too. Thank you so much for this. I love you, Mark. Well, then we'll talk love again. Love you too, Thank buddy. You. Love is in the air. Everywhere I look around. Love is in the air. Every sight and every sound. And I don't know if I'm being fooled. Don't know if I'm being but it's something that I must believe in 
And it's there when I look in your eyes. That's funny, Lou. That's Love a funny stuff the right there. Love is in the air. That was uh, Levin and me last night. And look, I do love him because he calls it the way it is. Too many people in the media today and this city in the media today are quick to give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt with Israel. And look, I was at this from the very beginning. So was Levin. Take it all the way back to that first show we did. The attacks by Hamas were Saturday morning, October the 7th. I invite you all to go back and listen. You can listen to all the old shows here at WABCRadio.com, iTunes, you name it. October the 9th, that Monday morning, I said Joe Biden is a no-good scumbag. And then he does this TV appearance on Fox News, you know. First of all, he was 90 minutes late. I'll never forget it. It was a weekday afternoon. And he gets up there and he telling everybody how much he's upset about what happened in Israel, and he's there for Israel, he's there for Bibi. Then he tells this this cockamamie story about Golda Meir when he met her 50 years ago, which I guarantee never happened. Never. And he never mentioned Iran during that little talk. He, It was basically nonsense. And I was furious, furious. And I'm watching Fox News and people like Brit Hume are going, hey, that was a good job. Good job? What are you, nuts? This guy's never liked Israel. Never. He was part, as I told Levin last night, of the Obama administration. He was Barack's vice president. Let me remind you, folks. Barack Obama and John Kerry did a deal with Iran. These morons knew that Iran never, ever, ever, ever stuck to the plan. They never did. I think uh, my buddy Ben uh, Wienthal in Jerusalem documented at least 56 times, 56, where Iran did not comply with the stupid treaty that Obama and Kerry and Biden put together. And then when Biden won, he couldn't wait to get John Kerry in his office and bring back that Iran deal, which... My man, Donald Trump, got rid of. We know he loosened every restriction, every sanction. Donald Trump put 1,500, 1,500 sanctions in place. Those mother effers in Iran, they couldn't buy toilet paper. And this Biden walks in, doesn't enforce anything. Iran is selling oil to China. They're selling oil to Russia, making billions of dollars. They didn't need the $6 billion that we gave them right before the Hamas attacks. In fact, I'm not even sure they ever even used that money. They didn't need it, along with a brutal hostage swap. So when this war breaks out on October the 7th, Whether you folks want to accept it or not, you Trump-hating morons, the United States, Joe Biden, helped fund the war against Israel. That's a fact. That's not a Sid Rosenberg opinion. That's not some right-wing nut. 
You know they describe me all the time in newspapers and all over the all over the place as a right wing conservative morning talk show host. Right wing conservative. Hey, stupid! I'm pro choice. How can I be a right wing conservative? I'm pro choice. I'm pro gay marriage. I am a Republican. I could never, ever envision myself ever voting for a Democrat. But I'm not right-wing, you morons. But I call it the way I see it. And since the war has started, Joe Biden and his merry men, that traitor, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, what a waste he is, Kirby, his military men, Millie and Austin, They're responsible for 13 Americans dying in Afghanistan. Since this thing has started, Biden once again has shown his true colors, been exposed as the man he is, which is not a friend of Israel. Never was, never will be. Donald Trump, yes. He was the one, after six presidents promised, to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Donald Trump. He was the one who recognized the Golan Heights as a part of Israel. He was the one, along with his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, that put together the Abraham Accords. He was the one who stopped delivering pallets of cash to the Palestinians, which ended up in the hands of Hamas time and time again. Not this prick who's in office now. And all this guy does now is stick his neck, his foot on the neck of Bibi. He actually called Bibi Netanyahu the last two weeks, you ready for this? An a-hole and an effing a-hole coming from Joe Biden. That would be like O.J. Simpson calling Robert Blake a murderer. Joe Biden, the worst president in the history of this country. The reason behind the Israel-Hamas war. And the reason why, trust me, folks, It's going to get a heck of a lot worse before it gets better. We're going to shift gears, talk about the Mets and Yanks. (laughs) That's why this show is number one, folks. Not many hosts around the country can have a serious discussion like that and then talk about Harris and Bader in center field, but I can do that. So we'll, we'll talk to the legend, the great Christopher Mad Dog Russo, 77 WABC. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. For me, off of the great Born in the USC album, Bruce Springsteen, Stella Come, Rudy Giuliani, Hadass Levy, the Chief of Transit, Michael Kemper, and Bill O'Reilly. But my next guest is part of the legendary Mike and the Mad Dog combination. He's gone on to do some amazing things. His own channel at Sirius XM, Channel 82. He's got his great sports talk show, 3 to 6, every afternoon, Mad Dog Unleashed. And then, of course... He's got the best baseball show on the MLB Network. And I would say that right to Brian Kenny. Nobody better than Dog. He's on at 1 o'clock every day. High heat. Here he is, the great 
Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Doggy, how are you, buddy? Good, good morning, Sydney. Hi, how's my buddy doing? Things I, okay? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, it was, um, I told you this uh, via text yesterday that during the Super Bowl week, I was surprised that Mike Francesa, A, was I not in Vegas. That. He was here, not in Vegas, and he hopped on the show, Doggy. Happy to hear it. And he did a tremendous job on that NFL CBS, uh, NFL Today recap, that hour show they did uh, on CBS at 1 o'clock on Super Bowl Sunday about Brent and Jane Kennedy and, of course, Phyllis and Irv Cross. And he was on there a lot with Jimmy the Greek, and he was on there a lot. CBS did a great job on that show, and Mike was superb. I texted him on that. I did not realize he was on with you that week. I know Mike can at times be a little tricky to get, so I'm happy and I guess he liked the Chiefs, as I did as well. So uh, I was fortunate to get out of that. Mahomes is too good. That's the bottom line. He's the best quarterback I've ever seen. That includes Brady. Um, he is that good. Now, you're not gonna have this, he may not have the same career that Brady has as far as seven Super Bowls are concerned. But at his peak, at his peak, he's a better player because he runs better. And he's, he's just incredible. And, uh, you know, he went down the field not once, twice uh, to win that game. And the fumbled punt, to me, was the key to the whole damn thing. Uh, you know, the Niners should have gotten a first down to end it, but if that ball does not hit the, uh, the blocker on the punt at 10-6, maybe they will hang on and win the game. But anyway, glad to see you had Mike. Great job on your part. Now, he did uh, right. like the Chiefs, uh, as did you and as did I. Again, I don't know how you make the reigning Super Bowl champs who had to go through Buffalo and Baltimore to get there when the Niners struggled against the likes of the Packers and the Lions and underdog. But nevertheless, I want to go back to what you just said. I'm not disagreeing, but it's a very bold statement. Forget about Brady. He's won seven. I mean, I thought Dan Marino was a better quarterback than Tom Brady. He didn't win one Super Bowl, not one. So we, we have this habit of rating quarterbacks based on how many Super Bowls they win, which I don't think is, is right, you know. But nevertheless, you really think Mahomes is the greatest quarterback ever? Yeah. And I go back to 19. I've been saying this for two months. Uh, I've been saying it on first take. I've said it everywhere. Uh, I think um, I'm going back to 1967, star in Unitas. Uh, he's, what is he, about 16-3 and three in the postseason? He's lost three postseason games. Now, I think, you know, he lost two to Brady. One he played great. The other one he didn't because Reed did a bad job with the offensive line. And then he lost a game to Cincinnati where he had the bad half. But you find me somebody better than this guy. Really. I mean, find me somebody who's better than everybody said he couldn't win a road playoff game and wins in Buffalo. Played great. He does exactly what he has to do in Baltimore. 30 of 39. Lamar, obviously, way overrated. And he played great in that game against – he didn't play great, but he played well enough to do what he had to do, manage the game properly against the Ravens, and then he recovers off that interception third quarter and wins this game, too. He's been to four Super Bowls. He's won three of them. He's 28 years of age. He played unbelievably well in the cold weather at 40 below against Miami when he won won the game 26-7, whatever the final was. I love the kid. Uh, He's a tremendous runner. Um, He he has – and think about this. How many Hall of Famers does he have on offense? He's got one. He's got one Hall of Famer on offense, Kelsey. He's got no – yeah, Hill's not there, and he's won two Super Bowls without Hill. He doesn't have an Hall of Fame offensive lineman. He doesn't have an Hall of Fame running back. He's got a Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, and he's got a Hall of Fame, and he's got a Hall of yeah. Fame tight end. True. Brady had Edelman. Brady had Edelman, who was a hell of a receiver. Amendola, a very good receiver. Obviously, he had the two tight ends, the deceased Hernandez and Gronkowski. I mean, listen, I love Brady. I hate to even say this. I just think that if you're ranking quarterbacks right now, I would go Mahomes 1, Brady 2, and Montana 3, United 4. That's what I would do. A lot of people think I'm crazy. But what, are you going to tell me that Mahomes is not going to win three or four more Super Bowls? 
at 28 years of age. And he's going to win a couple more. Easy. He's going to win a couple more. And listen, the one thing about Marino, Marino loved his arm. And Marino wanted to throw the ball more than he wanted to run the ball. Marino was not interested in managing the game. He didn't want to do that. He can manage the game. Brady can manage the game. Marino wanted to be the star in every game that he played in. And I think at times that was a detriment to Miami. And let's be fair. He was in one Super Bowl and was completely outplayed by Montana. He's not better. You, you can't put him. When you're, ma- when you're matching these quarterbacks up and he's on one in the Super Bowl where he's outplayed and never got to another one, you got to be careful where you put Marino historically lifetime. Yeah, but I got to tell you, I was in Miami for a long time. It wasn't his fault. I mean, his best running backs were Delvin Williams and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Never had a great defense. I know he had Zach and Jason later on, but Marino had that team winning all those games every year, got into the playoffs almost every year. So be careful. I mean, you talk about Edelman. He got out, he got out played by Stan Humphreys in San Diego one year. He did. He lost, he lost a playoff game, the Tony Easton championship game at home, 31-14. You want to give him a little break against Buffalo? All right, give him a little break against Buffalo. Uh, he was the quarterback when he lost 62-10 at Jacksonville. You got to be careful. He was, that, that, was, you know, that, that was the end of his career. That, that, that's fair. Oh, yeah. He did get killed. He did. But I want to ask you about the coach then, because you've got Mahomes that far up the list. I know Reed lost the Super Bowl with the Eagles in Jacksonville. I was at that one. They lost to, uh, to the Pats, and that was the whole ugliness with Donovan McNabb yeah. and T.O. Yeah. in the huddle. But now, you know, there's only uh, two coaches, only two right now with more Super Bowl wins than Andy Reid. Believe it or not, he's got more Super Bowl wins than Vince Lombardi, than Bill Parcells. <laughs> only two, and that is Chuck Noll and Bill Belichick. Where do you have Reid in the list of all-time greats? Well, first off, he's not, he's not as good as Paul Brown. And, I, and, and this Lombardi thing is ridiculous. He won five championships. And he won three in a row. Now, he won 65. Now, that was before Super Bowl one. You're telling me he wouldn't have beaten the Buffalo Bills if there was a Super Bowl in 1965? Right. He, he beat the Chiefs the next year 35-10. And then he beat the Raiders 33-14 in Super Bowl two. You're telling me Vince wouldn't have won the Super Bowl in 65? What? Really? So, <laughs> he is not Lombardi. He's not Belichick. He's not Paul Brown. And then you got Landry. Shula, I mean, remember Gibbs has three. You forgot about Gibbs. Now, not right. only does Gibbs have three, but by the way, with three different quarterbacks. Three different quarterbacks. And if Jay yeah. Schrader beats the Giants in the NFC Championship game, he he's got four. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, listen, I think Reed's, you know, he's a top eight, top ten coach. You know, you got Landry, Shula. Uh, you just mentioned Gibbs, Parcells, Belichick, Lombardi, Paul Brown. Those are the guys that you're, uh, that you're in that mix. And Reed is probably going to win a couple more. You got to put him in that mix too. He's a little sloppy, uh, clock management. He did a bad job in that one Super Bowl against Tampa. But I mean, you listen, he's got the, he, he did a good job without Mahomes because McNabb, Alex Smith, these were not great quarterbacks and he took him as far as he could take him. So, and Mahomes, he's got an all timer and that's why he's winning. He, he remembered, Sid, Without the great quarterback, now Gibbs, of course, is a little different, but without the great quarterback, you're not winning. Paul Brown never won without Otto Graham. I mean, Walsh had Montana. Obviously, Lombardi had Star. And you have the great quarterback. How's Belichick done without Brady? So you need the great quarterback. He's got the great quarterback, and he's going to win plenty of Super Bowls. You want to put Reed somewhere in that six or seven area? I don't have a problem with it. I'm not putting him in Mount Rushmore myself. I'm going land. I'm going Lombardi, 
Belichick, Paul Brown, and that fourth one is a little dicey where you want to choose it. You got to go Shula. You got to go Shula. He's got all time wins. He's got the most wins. Yeah. You got to go Shula. Yeah. I agree. You know, one, uh, one coach that did win two Super Bowls with a guy that I did not think was great. He was great in college. He won the Heisman, but was not a great NFL quarterback. He may have to go to Tom Flores with Jim Plunkett. That's a good point. Now, the problem with Flores is, Sid, he went to Seattle and was awful. That's the problem with True. Flores. That hurts Seaford, too. Seaford went to Carolina for five years, and they were awful. And that's why Seaford won two Super Bowls. That's why he's not in the Hall of Fame, because everybody perceives it that it was Walsh's team. Remember, he won the 55-10 game, and then he won the game against um, that with Young and Rice against San Diego. Right. Same thing with Plunkett, who won an 80 against the uh, – Plunkett, I'm sorry, Flores – who won the 80 game, and then he won the 83 game. Now, Flores is in the Hall of Fame, and Seifert isn't. Right. But both of those guys left the cocoon of Walsh and, um, uh, and Madden and the Raider franchise, went somewhere else, and didn't win. That's what hurts those two guys when you think about it. That is fair. Paul, Brown, Paul Brown's interesting. Paul Brown was great, and then when Otto Grand retired after 55, Paul Brown never won another Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I think he won, he won one more after that, which is really hard to believe when you think about the great Paul Brown. Consider that for a second. Uh, that's a good point. This is uh, the great Christopher Mad Dog, Russo Dog. We're going to take a short break because, of course, your show High Heat is the best baseball show on TV. Fans here in New York are excited. Mets and Cardinals, first spring training game coming up on Saturday. Yankees and Tigers, first spring training game coming up on Saturday. Mets and Yankees with Christopher Mad Dog, Russo, when we get back. Friends in the morning, 77 WABC. From the outside, it looks like Bader's going to be in center most days and Nimmo's going to be in left most days. Is there, is that maybe not the case? Well, I mean, it's matchup related. Where we are on the schedule, where we are health wise, there, there's a lot that goes into uh, making the, these decisions. But if everyone's healthy and, uh, you know, and, 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 and producing and, and, and playing uh, the way they, they're capable of playing, uh, you're going to see. I love Brandon in left, and you're going to see Bader in center. But, again, uh, there's versatility, and there's flexibility, and then the, the health factor. So, hopefully, I'm, I, I, you know, I have those tough decisions, you know. Oh, my God, help me. That's uh, the new Mets skipper, Carlos Mendoza. I just realized that show also was gone about a week ago. I don't remember the last time I was um, less excited about a Met opening day. I just... You know, Joe Beningo was on this show last week, the great Joe. Doggy knows him well. And he said, I got to tell you, the more I look at the Steve Cohen era, it's starting to look a lot like the Wilpon era. You know, he came in full of piss and vinegar. And, you know, the Mets made the playoffs. and got wiped out in the first round by San Diego. But now it's over. Like, I, I was arguing with Jimmy Flippin the other day. I just don't see a, 
a big-time team here. Maybe I'm wrong. What's he over in Vegas, 80? That's all you need to know. The man who knows the most about baseball on the planet has the best baseball show on TV, 1 p.m. every day, High Heat on the MLB Network, and his great Mad Dog Unleashed radio show, 3 to 6 p.m. every afternoon on Sirius XM. He's the legend, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Doggy, uh, just can't get excited about the Mets. Am I missing something? No, you're not. I totally agree. And the way they handled Buck last year, Stearns, was a disgrace. Uh, Buck deserved to come back. They, had, they handled that terribly. Who knows? I'm Mendoza. It's a flip of a coin if he's going to be any good. I don't care what the Yankees say. Um, you know, while he's the greatest bench coach in the world, who the hell knows? In, in the in, in the in the cauldron of a huge uh, ball game in, in in July, is he going to push the right buttons? Who not? You have no idea of knowing that. And the Mets are not that good. I mean, I I think their pitching stinks. I mean, I listen. I think overall, you know, they're due to be a little better because everybody's going to write them off. There's no pressure on them. Both eyes off their back. They had a terrible year last year. I think that will motivate them to a certain degree, and I think they will overachieve from a lineup perspective, and I think that you'll be surprised at times. I think they'll be feisty. But as far as being a good team, how? I mean, they got the Phillies and Braves in their division, who are much better. They, you know, they got somebody out of the NL Central. That's three. And then you've got the Dodgers, who you know, are going to sleepwalk to 115 wins. That's four. Plus, Arizona's better than they are. That's five. San Diego and the Giants will be competitive. I mean, I, I don't like the, the Mets starting. So they got a bunch of fourth starters outside of Senga. Their bullpen, Diaz, that's a big plus. Yeah, that will help them. No question. Uh, but I think you're – I mean, Bader in center field, really? I mean, this is <laughs> – who knows? Who knows on Marte? Who knows if he's going to be if he's going to be healthy again? Uh, you know, listen, Alvarez will hit some home runs. Uh, you know, the third base situation is a little up in the air. I think they'd be competitive. I think that they have a little something to prove. I think that goes a long way. The Mets are better when they are under the radar than when they are favored. When they're favored, the Mets fall under the weight of that. A lot of times they have done that. When they are not that uh, expected to do much, they seem to play a little better. And I think that does apply here. But the idea that the Mets are a playoff team in October you know, they're an 83-85 win team. Now, six teams make the playoffs. There's a lot of teams that will be in the mix. The baseball, uh, and I don't have a problem with the extra playoff teams, but the one thing it does, it makes the regular season a little more obsolete. Arizona last year won 84 games and got all the way to the World Series. Uh, it makes it a little bit like the NBA, which is not what you want to be, a little bit like the NHL regular season, which is not where you want to be. When you put that many teams in a postseason, it devalues 162. Yep. Now, it keeps the Mets in the mix because 82, 83 wins will, you know, have them on the periphery, and that's where I think the Mets will be in 2024. By the way, the Mets yeah. last year at the Dogs Point won just 75 games. They lost 87. Some Mets fans think they'll lose 90 this year. We'll see. Uh, the team, though, that has huge expectations, kind of the Dodgers of the American League, maybe we see it again, what we saw in 77, 78, and 81, and that's the Bronx Bombers, the Yankees. That is a vicious lineup. If those guys, it's a big if. I get it, big if. But if those guys stay healthy, Judge, Stanton, the best hitter in baseball, or one of the best, I should say, with Soto. And then you've got to even guys down the lineup like that kid Volpe, who came on the scene last year, hit over 20 home runs. I mean, on paper, that is a vicious Yankee lineup. And Rizzo will be healthier. Uh, yeah, the Yankees are going to be good. Um, I'm expecting Rondon to be a little better. 
Uh, Cortez uh, would be would bounce back, and obviously he got cold there at the top of the rotation. They should score a ton of runs. They only want you know. I tell you one thing about the Yankees though: if I'm the mo- if I'm the owner, you got to get to the World Series this year if you're Boone. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, if Boone does not win a couple of playoff rounds, uh, I think I, he's managing for a supper. I know you're gonna tell me Cashman too, uh, but Cashman seems to you know he's been there for 25 years. He got a job for life. Uh, you know, Boone's a little different. This is a very important year for him. He's got to win some rounds in the postseason. But I'm with you. I think the Yankees will be very, very – they're due to be better, due to be healthier. Soto will add a lot. That short portion right, he hit 40 homers. he take his walks. He, he posts. Last year he played 162 games. So he usually plays. Stanton's bound to be a little better. We know about Judge. And the Yankees will be good. I mean, let's call it like we see it. The Yankees will be good. They got Cole at the top of the rotation. They have to figure out what they got to do with the other guys. And, and Holmes in the bullpen. I know they lost some arms in the bullpen, Peralta. But, I mean, they'll be all right. They'll figure it out in the bullpen. Uh, the Yankees, uh, listen, Tampa's not going to be as good. Toronto's not going to be as good. The Orioles got a lot of expectations on them. Younger team, we shall see. The Yankees, I would be. they would be my pick to win the American League East. Now, listen, Houston is very good. And the Yankees never beat Houston. Hater's going to really help that bullpen with Presley. They got Altuve signed. They're going to get Tucker signed. They're going to get Bregman signed. Um, you know, last year they lost game seven to Texas. They were the second best team in baseball. Houston is no – everybody else is up in the air, not Houston. Yankees never beat Houston. Houston owns the Yankees. So that would worry me a little bit because the Houston's got gamers and the Yankees sometimes don't. But, I mean, other than that, Yankees got a hell of a chance playing the World Series. So There's final no final 60 seconds, uh, dog, is always just a tremendous appearance. Uh, talking Yankees, talking Astros, talking Dodgers, and outside the Mets, basically talking chalk. Give me the Christopher Mad Dog Russo team as we start spring training games this weekend that people are not talking about. They're going to open some eyes come September. That's a very good question. Hmm. Uh... Uh, come September, open some eyes. Maybe the Reds? Give you a weird, uh, yeah, that's one. I'm also going to give you Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City, first off, they're going to get that new ballpark downtown. That's number one. They signed Witt to a maximum $377 million contract. The owner means business. They bought a lot of younger, they bought a lot of pitchers in there. You know, the Michael Walkers of the world. Now, I understand that's not going to get anybody excited. They get the first baseman back, and they're in a terrible division. Minnesota stinks. The, in, the Guardians have done nothing. I don't care what Steve Vogt is, the manager. And they are, Detroit is a team that, you know, they've, they, they haven't done anything in a long time. They should be a little better. Having the White Sox are a mess. You know, the Reds are in a division. Cardinals could be decent. Cubs are okay. And the Reds starting pitching. Uh, I know it sounds – that's a good one, though. You brought up a good one. Reds and the Royals, two teams out of those bad divisions. Remember, folks, those centrals – are horrendous divisions. It's an embarrassment. <laughs> Nobody has a high payroll in those divisions. Yep. So I think the Reds and the Royals could make some could make some noise. Uh, uh, Chris, you're uh, the absolute best. I say it all the time. The best ever, folks. Check them out. Three to six every weekday afternoon. Mad Dog Unleashed on Sirius XM. And, of course, uh, High Heat, 1 p.m. on MLB Network. And, and also, let me say this. 
Wednesdays, ESPN, Stephen A. Smith, all week long, ESPN. Nobody better than my dear friend, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Doggy, thank you so much. You got it there, Sydney. Knock him dead, big guy. Thanks for having me. You too. There he is. Hall of Famer, folks. He made the Hall of Fame last year. He was in Chicago. Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Still lots more to do, folks. Pretty good start. Kara Castronova, Curtis Sliwa, Christopher Mandor Russo. Still to come, Rudy Giuliani, Bill O'Reilly, Hadas Levy, and Michael Kemper. Sid, for five hours. Keep it right here. You can talk to me. You can talk to me. You can talk to me. If you're lonely, you can talk to me. And informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Some, as he always does, one of the reasons why Lou Rufino is the best ever at his job. He really is. Got some a little trivia about this this group, 38 Special. What you got, Lewis? Did you, uh, you're like kind of obsessed with this band right uh, now. Well, I, there's two songs, Caught Up in You, This One, and Hold On Loosely, that are legitimately two of my favorite songs ever. Outside of that, they got, it's like sticks from me. You know, I got two songs. That's it. Oh, look who's calling in, Rudy, an hour before his, uh, hi, Rudy. Why doesn't Rudy just call in when he's supposed to call in? He calls in an hour early or an hour late. Anyway, what uh, what well, is the uh, trivia well, about this, man? Maybe he should just keep calling every hour, and then <laughs> yeah. he'll eventually get on. I'm actually right just hour. happy he calls, so oh, yeah. it's all um, good. This, well, the singer is uh, related to uh, Leonard Skinner in the way he's the younger brother of Ronnie Van Zant. Is Don, that right? Donnie. Yes. 
Donnie. Oh, Van Donnie Van Zandt. Donnie Van Zandt. Right. Is the gotcha. Movie. Yes. Right. The brother of right. Ronnie, right. Who was the singer in Leonard? Gotcha. Nice job, Lewis. What okay. did uh, Rudy Giuliani say? <laughs> you know, it's either. One end of the spectrum, or it's the complete opposite right. end of the spectrum. He's either too early or too late. Right. So he, but he actually called us. He was very considerate of him. He called us to just let me know. Okay. That he's up and at him. He's ready to go. I love wow. Rudy. You know, somebody just sent me a text that this interview I did last night, which I really haven't mentioned much today, with uh, Mark Levin, the great one, is now on Rumble. That's a big deal, Justin. Yeah, I think Levin puts most of his stuff out on uh, Rumble. Oh, he does? Uh, on Rumble. I believe he does. You know, I didn't want to have to do this, but now that I got the text and it is on Rumble, I have no choice. Right, naturally. But to play a cut from last <laughs> night's. I have no choice. <laughs> I don't really have a choice. Contractually obligated. I may play two cuts right now. Oh, my God. Now, yeah. you're, getting, now you're getting crazy. Is it getting, too much? Uh, <laughs> he's getting ahead of it's the not contract. too little, I'll no. tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with Levin and Rosenberg 6, Lewis. Well, ladies and gentlemen, many of you know this man. Some of you don't. He's got, uh, I think, the biggest or one of the biggest shows in New York, the morning show on WABC. And I'll tell you why. Because he is, a, in his heart, a good man because he's funny, but he can be serious, he's substantive, and he's my buddy. Sid Rosenberg, how are you? How am I? This is a huge honor, I mean, to be on... Mark Levin's radio show, and, and yes, we've got the number one show in New York in the morning. We're, we're a monster, quite frankly, Mark, throughout the country, but to be on your show is, uh, is a huge honor for me. So thank you so much. Well, God bless you, brother. What was that? What was that? What do you mean, what was that? Well, that was 45 seconds of <laughs> backseat of a car. No. That's what that was. That was just... Yeah. Did you, who was on top of who in that scenario? I really, like, really, it's, I hope you got to third base at least on that one. Well, not that one. No. But now that you bring it up, right. here's cut number seven. I've loved you for years. <laughs> no. I had a little tip for a couple of months. A little tip. Whether you're Jewish or not, if you love this country, if you love Israel, and I mean this sincerely, there is no better or bigger voice in the country, in the world today, than Mark Levin. I am honored to call you a friend, and we're very lucky to have you, whether it's radio or TV, talking to us every day. We need you now, Mark Levin, more than ever. This is why I love Sid, not because he praises me, but this is a man who's full of passion and intelligence, and now you know why people want to listen to him. Sid, God bless you, my brother, and take care of yourself. You too. Thank you so much for this. I love you, Mark. Then we'll talk love again. Love you too. Like talking to him like what? Commissioner Gordon talks to Batman. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, we need you, Batman. We need you. Well, Batman, <laughs> well, Batman yeah. without you, we couldn't have solved that case. The Joker yeah. would have done it again. You know, I love you. I love you. What the hell was that? Oh, vengeance. I can't
And now, a man who got not one, but two shout-outs from Donald Trump on Saturday night at Cipriani Wall Street. He's Sid Rosenberg. You know that, Sid, right? There is a slight difference. If you want, we can talk about it, but let's not bore the audience. And this... I could be indictment-proof right now. I don't think they can do it, Sid. I don't think they can do it. Is Sid and Friends in the Morning. pays attention. I said there are two songs I like from 38 Special, kind of like Sticks, Come Sail Away, and this one, Lady. Lady, from the moment I saw you, standing, whoa, 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 alone. You know one lady I can't stand? There's a lot of ladies I can't stand, to be honest, but one's on CNN right now. This is all you need to know about Nikki Haley. And I keep going back to that very sweet Jewish couple from the five towns who annoyed the hell out of me one day on the line for the ferry who kept telling me that Nikki Haley was the best choice. She's the only one that can beat Joe Biden. They're voting for her. I'm like, stop it. You sound stupid. Sounds like a fun ferry ride. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She's on CNN all the time. Actually, that was a tape. They've got Asa Hutchinson uh, live now. But Nikki's on all the time. And today she's delivering some Fakakta speech in South Carolina, the state of the race speech. Here's the state of the race, Nikki, baby. You're taking it right in the ass. You're getting murdered. (laughs) You're getting killed. That's the state of the race. You lost by double digits in Iowa. You lost by double digits in New Hampshire. You didn't even show up in Nevada. You're down by 32 points in your home state of South Carolina. And in four of the seven states on Super Tuesday, you're down by as many as 60 points. That's the state of the race. Anal with no lube. (laughs) I can't even look at you. And you're not going to get this from Brit Hume, I can promise you. Are you sure? Well, Brian, let me me tell you, Brian, how the state of the race, I mean, several candidates uh, have not taken it uh, in the back uh, with Lube and uh, several. Well, I can't stand her anymore. I can't stand her. She was on a town hall on Fox News yesterday. She goes, nobody wants Trump. Sweetheart, he's killing you. How do you say that? You know, I remember one time the um, after the Knicks beat the Heat. And the Knicks always beat the Heat, you know. And then Alonzo Mourning, after the series, would go, you know, we're better. And I'd be like, Alonzo, you got to win once before you claim you're better. Nikki Haley is getting destroyed. Destroyed. She's not even competitive. What do you mean nobody wants Trump? Well, nobody wants Trump or Biden. They're too old. That may be true, but they certainly want Trump more than you. Well, that's a that no one's going to make that comparison like you just made. Thank you very much, Nikki Haley and the Miami Heat. Alonzo Mourning. Yes. Alonzo Mourning. This is why. This is why we're number one, that bro. Is, this wow. is why we are number one. 
Mark Levin said it last night. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Not taking it the, uh, here. <laughs> that one, too. Nikki Haley, Lewis, this is cut number 12. 70% of Americans right now say they don't want Biden or Trump in this election. The majority of Americans disapprove of Joe Biden. The majority of Americans disapprove of Donald Trump. Sure. Both of those men put us trillions of dollars in debt that our kids are never going to forgive us for. And are we really going to put our all of our problems and well, issues in the hands of two 80-year-olds? No, just one, you moron, not two we of them, one of them. someone who can serve eight years wow. fully working, fully disciplined, and ready to get the job done. Who's that? We can't go and take the chance of doing this oh. with two 80-year-olds. Right. We're only going to do it with one, sweetheart. Only one wins. They don't serve together, you moron. Here's our more Nikki Haley. She says, you ready for this? We need a girl. Kind of like the end of uh, Saturday Night Fever when uh, Stephanie was sitting on the windowsill with John Travolta. Here I go again. And she goes, do you think you could be friends with a girl? Sure, you could do that. And he goes, I, I-, I could try. We need a girl to be president. Here's Nikki Haley, cut number 13. <laughs> I think it's been chaos, but that's what we see. Chaos just follows him everywhere he goes. And some of this has been very politically motivated. We see that for what it is. Some of it has not been fair. Some he's going to have to defend himself. And we're going to find out whether, you know, there's something behind it or not. But the problem is, this is someone we're talking about could win the Republican nomination. Could. And he's going to be in court March and April. May and June. He, by his own words, said he's going to be spending more time in court than he is on the campaign trail. Sure. That's a problem. No, no problem. Republicans will not win no. if Donald Trump is the nominee. Sure. It's not going to happen. No. Every poll shows that he can't beat Biden. Yeah. Some are down by five. Some are down by seven. On his best day, it's margin of error. Not true. I'm in every one of those same <laughs> I mean, election Shut polls. up. Please, and I'm I begging this lady to shut up. Uh, the last one, she says, um, if she wins the presidency, I mean, this is this is really crazy stuff. This is like Charles Manson didn't get this high when he smoked that weed in California in 1969. These, this is a list of comparisons you're not going to get it. In this segment so far? Are you kidding? You got wow. anal. Uh, Alonzo, Alonzo Warning, Morning, Charles Manson, yes. John Travolta. John, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Haley says if uh, if she gets elected, you ready for this? She's a real sweetheart, this girl. She's going to pardon President Trump. Nikki Haley, cut number 14. Governor Haley, if you were elected president, would you Donald Trump if he was convicted of a crime in federal court? Well, thank you for that question. You know, if you're talking about pardoning Trump, it's not a matter of innocence or guilt at that point, because that means he would have already been found guilty. I believe in the best interest of bringing the country together, I would pardon Donald Trump. Because I think it's important for the country to move on. We've got to leave the negativity and the baggage behind. (laughs) I don't want this country divided any further. I don't think it's in the best interest for America to have an 80-year-old president sitting in jail and having everybody upset about it. I think this would be the time that we would need to move forward Mm. and get this out of the way. Who's clapping? What morons are clapping? Who are these idiots? I think it was Alonzo's parents. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say this, and and I hate the fact that I'm saying it. I really do. Because I think there was a time, or I know there was a time, 
I was actually one of those people on board with Trump getting rid of Mike Pence, who I never liked. I met him here at the studios. Very nice guy, but he's about as exciting as a fart in a windstorm. So I was on board getting rid of Mike Pence and putting Nikki Haley as a VP. I liked her. And uh, now I hate her. Like, I legitimately hate her. I feel the same way about Nikki Haley that I do about Joe Biden. The only difference is Biden is helping in destroying my country of Israel. And Haley did say these two very famous words early on, which was hot. Finish them. That was hot. I'll give Haley credit for that. Other than that, she's a douchebag. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. You're my best friend. 77 WABC. Best life Seems like you don't want the love of this man at all. what a lot of Americans did a couple of days ago. I sat there and I watched this repulsive harlot, Fannie Willis. This is a great song, Fanny by the Bee Gees. Yell and scream at the judge. I think she thought she was sitting at the prosecution table, but she was the one on the stand. And she came off as the most obnoxious, arrogant person you'll ever see in a courtroom. I hate her, too, actually. (laughs) Throw her in the same mix as Nikki Haley and even Hillary these days. I hate her, too. I I know she was pro-Israel early on, but, well, I just hate these women. What can I tell you? It is what it is. So, you know, I keep waiting for them to tell me that she's kicked out, disqualified, so my friend Rudy can go on with his life. Because not only should she be disqualified from the case, but honestly... And I know that Joe Tacopino, Judge Napolitano, Artie Idala say it's probably not going to happen. But honestly, the whole case should just go away. Brought on by bias. So with that said, here he is, the greatest mayor, not just in New York, but in any city in this country's history. And a superstar at 3 o'clock every weekday afternoon, my dear friend, and I mean that sincerely, Rudy Giuliani. Rudy, good morning, buddy. How are you? I'm good, Sid. How are you? I'm doing great. So tell me that they're going to disqualify her, kick her out. Maybe the case will go away. Give me some good news on this Georgia nonsense. Okay. I think the odds are that this judge, although he had some moments where he sounded okay, is a product of the Fulton County Atlanta Democrat Party. I don't know if he's got the guts to kick her out. Uh, probably a little 50 one percent, he won't do it. Forty-nine percent, he will. It's very close. Yeah. He knows he should. 
he seems like a smart guy, basically honest guy. He knows he should. He also knows he has no future. And that's, that's true in the New York uh, courts, too. The Democratic uh, leaders appoint the judges. We do not elect them. When you go into a voting booth, there's nobody opposing them. That's like, you know, Soviet Union and China. Nobody opposing them. They're selected by whoever the boss is in that county. So they'll make Democratic decisions. Otherwise, they won't go anywhere. They're finished. So he knows that as a young man, he finished in the Democratic Party. Does he have the guts to do it? I don't know. I think it's close. Uh, if it gets up to the Court of Appeals, though, I think they would get rid of her because she's an embarrassment to the entire state. And there are still investigations of her that are going on. So even if he doesn't get rid of her right now, it's a long way until that trial. So I'm hopeful that she's gone and nobody else would take up that case. They would drop it. I mean, it was a, it's a it's a joke. The case, uh, if it weren't so serious, it'd be a joke. Well, I'm glad you said so that I because think- no, I'm glad you said that because even though I can't stand her and uh, what she's doing to you and Trump, two of my best friends, is, is not right. Disqualifying her is not good enough if the case still goes on. But you're telling me if they disqualify her, you believe that the whole case may go away? Yeah, I, I don't know if there'd be another lawyer that wants to take the risk of bringing on that case there, even a Democrat. I mean, it's it's brought her great grief. Uh, it hasn't been the case hasn't been received. You know, it's been looked at as a phony case. Uh, the fourth one in a string of four all lumped into the election year. Uh, why why a judge can't conclude from that alone that it's a political prosecution and therefore dismiss it? I don't know. I mean, one case this year, two this year, three. I think you start to say. And they're all Democrat. They're all Democrat prosecutors. They're all prosecutors with with ethical issues. Bragg, uh, Smith, Smith has had two cases in which he's convicted basically innocent people. I mean, how many? How many did he get? Another third one? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that 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 he even has. So you got three questionable Democrat prosecutors. No Republicans. Uh, uh, legal theories that have never been used before, uh, all kinds of uh, violations by the prosecutors. Some judge should look at them all and say, one of the four judges should look at it and say, these cases are, uh, it's obvious when you put them all together, the whole reason is political. And we can't have the justice system used for that. I'm hopeful that one of these judges might do it, and maybe the one in Florida. She is a Republican. She'd take a lot of heat for it, but she's probably the only one who has the guts to do it. You know, Rudy, I remember 9-11 vividly. I remember you every day. In fact, I remember the first time I met you. You wouldn't remember. But it was um, was after 9-11, my friend Ross Greenberg did a series, mm-hmm. a movie for HBO. And uh, the name of the movie was Nine Innings from Ground Zero. And it was yeah, a documentary wait, about wait. the Yankees Diamondbacks World Series after 9-11, how the world had changed, how you entered the stadium in the Bronx with metal detectors and men with guns. And they showed the very first showing of it at a museum. And all the Sopranos were there, including the late, great Jimmy Gandolfini. And you hosted that night. And you were very, very kind to me. That's the first time I met you. But I remember back then your approval rating 
was like a hundred, you know. And here we are, <laughs> yeah, thirty years later, and and all these TV channels beat the living daylights out of you. You get sued almost every single week. I mean, your life has really taken a difficult turn. You're telling me there are moments of the day where you're like, my God, what happened? Not many. I mean, the public is terrific. Uh, in, in the other side of it is I get much more public support than I ever did, even after 9-11. I mean, it's hard, it's hard for me to uh, – I'm in Florida right now. It's hard for me to go to a restaurant, and I'd have eight people come over. And uh, and even in New York, uh, I get tremendous amount of moral support. So I realize, I realize I'm doing something important for my country. So that makes up for it. I realize that somebody has to be in this position. I'm not the only one. There are people that are being treated worse than I am. I look at the January 6th people. I mean, they've been basically put in dungeons. I'm not in a dungeon. <laughs> so I've, I, it's, the difficult times in my life, I've always looked to other people who have more difficulty, like when I had cancer, who had worse cancer. People are going through more because of this dictatorship they live under. Somebody has to go through it, and God made me strong enough to be able to do it. So. I really hope that it's going to help my country get back to being a country where we have like one justice system and we don't use politics as a basis for prosecution. For me, that's not only uh, you know a problem as an American. It's the way I in my whole life basically before I went into politics was was the justice system, and I really believe I really believed in it. Sid. It wasn't I wasn't making believe. I mean, I believed in. You don't prosecute innocent people. I uh, d- declined prosecution in cases that I thought were too too close. Uh, I declined prosecution of cases where I, I thought the punishment would be too great for the kind of crime there was. Because I thought my job was to do justice. Now, to see this, for me, it's almost more a personal shock at the condition my country is in. I'm not really afraid of what's going to happen to me. Uh, and and then I, on the other side, I get, you know, sort of like Trump. Every time you get beaten down, <laughs> you become more popular with sure. a certain group of people. You, I just got a wonderful letter from someone the other day. I mean, uh, it, just that one letter says, gosh almighty, maybe I'm doing something right. You know? <laughs> no, you are doing something right. We're going to take a short break. Here he is, America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani, 3 p.m., Every weekday afternoon here on WABC, we'll come back. We'll talk about the city, the mayor, Eric Adams, all that good stuff. This is Fanny by the Bee Gees. We're coming back with Rudy Giuliani. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. She's 
I'm going to run to you, Sweet Lou, the great Brian Adams, 908. This is hour number four of five hours. We're doing five hours all week long. You get five hours of me and an extra hour of Curtis. And we had four great hours today, right, guys? Cara Castronova, Curtis Sliwa, an amazing appearance by Christopher Mad Dog Russo. And Rudy Giuliani, we've got a great guest coming up this hour. He's usually on Thursdays. But he's going to stop by today. It's a big deal. The ratings segment of the week. Nobody gets bigger ratings. Any segment, any show, all week long than O'Reilly and Rosenberg. And O'Reilly is coming back in a couple of moments. So he'll be on now and Thursday. And then coming up in the 10 o'clock hour, big story in New York. Somehow, subway crime is up, but arrests are up. That never has ever happened. Well, maybe never, but usually when there are more arrests, there's less crime. How is it possible that both numbers are going up? We're going to tell you how. We're going to talk to the man in charge of the subways, my good buddy Michael Kemper, who is the transit chief of the NYPD. He's coming up in that bonus hour, coming up at 10.15. So we got a lot more to do before we hand it off to Curtis, who's coming up at uh, at 11. They'll get Curtis from 11 to 1, and then uh, then Greg Kelly. So I did play the, uh, the Nikki Haley cuts earlier. I played the Donald Trump cuts earlier. I played for you the Kevin O'Leary cut earlier. This is my favorite cut of the day. And, of course, a lot of Sid Rosenberg, Mark Levin. I was a guest on Levin's show last night, and we had a great time. We've gotten... Very, very close, Levin and I. But this is uh, my favorite cut of the day. Then I want to get to Bill O'Reilly. This is Kevin O'Leary. He's on that show, Shark Tank, you know. And he was talking about that ridiculous civil fraud decision where Donald Trump has to pay back in the next 30 days, mind you. Pay up, I should say, not pay back, but pay $355 million. So O'Leary starts talking about what this means for New York State. And what he says is pretty damning. Lewis, Kevin O'Leary, cut number four. This is about the competition of states. I thought before this judgment that the number one loser state in America was California, which is basically putting itself out of business slowly and surely. But after this judgment, I'm going to make New York the number one loser state, followed by California, then Massachusetts, New Jersey, Michigan. These are places where taxes are not competitive. Delaware, for example, is now on the loser state list because it's unstable policy on the Elon Musk decision. You don't have to put your money into places where this kind of thing happens. Each of us as investors, we vote with our capital. Why punish a great state because it doesn't happen to be on the east or west coast? I say go to Florida, go to Texas, go to North Dakota, Oklahoma, West Virginia. These are winner states. Why go to a loser state like New York? Why go to a loser state like New York? My next guest lives in New York, as I do. (laughs) He's anything but a loser. He's the greatest 
of all time. And I mean that. It's my dear friend Bill O'Reilly. Check him out, folks. 9 p.m. weeknights on WABC and his amazing website, the best place for news anywhere, BillOReilly.com. Bill Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank says that the biggest loser state in the country is New York. Is that harsh as a resident of this state, or is he onto something? I think California's worse. Um, Illinois may be worse. But right now, New Yorkers are being punished by their government, by the state, and New York City government is punishing uh, New Yorkers. And Trump is an excellent example of that. Um, so after that verdict came in, I did what I always do, some reporting. And I went into the people who hate Trump the most that I know. And these are educated people, business people, some of them. They hate him. And you should get uh, Scaramucci on, see what he thinks. <laughs> he hates um, him, yeah. I, I didn't get with him. Yeah. He lives near me. Um, but all of them, I said, um, are you, is this okay with you? They're all high-fiving each other because they don't like Trump. But none of them justified the verdict because you can't justify it what this was were people using their political power all right the attorney general and the judge to punish a political person they don't like so how can you back that up well the case was based upon a prosecution civil that has never been used before in the history of the state. And I'm saying to myself, okay, so this is unique. Um, we all know, you know that the banks had no problem. Nobody filed against them. There were no victims or anything like that. They made money. The banks made a fortune yeah, of interest. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Everybody, the testimony was legion. Okay. But... The judge didn't care. The judge is sitting there going, I am going to punish this man because I despise him. Right. That's not justice. No. Okay. So, and by the way, not just the judge, but sitting in that courtroom was the equally as repulsive Attorney General Letitia James. Who drove this. You know, who drove the whole thing, and uh, along with Alvin Bragg. Um, so anybody looking from the outside in, has to say to themselves, well, you have a state where the powerful people are using their office to punish individuals. Do you want to go to that state? So the answer is no. Well, it's funny you say that. And I'm not going to say this person's last name because I know them too long. But her name is Beth. And I've known her for a very, very long time. And she was one of the people that when this verdict came down, and she's no dummy. She's in the law field. She was good with it. She said, she and hates I, Trump. She hates Trump, and she right. said, even even if this case, even if this case doesn't make sense, what she says, and a healthy percentage of others who would still vote against Donald Trump say is, he had it coming. He somehow or another, yeah, karma's a bitch. Call. I know. That's not, look, you can say anybody has it coming. 
Okay, you can do that, but that's not the system. The system is there to provide justice. Does anybody think this was justice? But it is the system, because if it wasn't the system, it wouldn't have happened. It's a system in New York. Uh It's not the system in most of the rest of the country. So that's what O'Leary was saying. If you've got a state that's punishing the people who live there, and believe me, if you don't know, it took me two hours to go from my house to MetLife Stadium to see the Islanders and Rangers on Sunday. You went out there and froze your ass off on Sunday? Well, I was in a box. (laughs) Okay. Full disclosure. I'm a big hockey guy. I played hockey at Chaminade High School. Yeah, you're a big Islander fan. Um, It took me two hours on a Sunday to go 19 miles. Outside of Cairo, Egypt, I don't think there's a place (laughs) on earth that will take you two hours to go 19 miles. Okay? So every time that New Yorkers turn around, there's something hurting them. Taxes, crime, corruption, pollution, traffic that doesn't move, infrastructure that's collapsing. And that's what I wrote about today. I basically said, look, you can't keep doing this and expect people not to flee. They're going to flee. And that's what's happening. So you're going to get migrants and people who are looking for a welfare lifestyle to come to New York. Because the migrants are now getting paid by Mayor Adams. Right. Well, where did Mayor Adams get that money? He got it from people breaking their backs to work and keep their family solvent. He's taking the money that we have given him with the onerous taxation in New York, and he's giving it to people who are in the country illegally. I mean, critical mass has been reached in New York State. So here's the question. We know all the problems. You just detailed a bunch of them. A bunch of them, maybe all of them. But I get asked this all the time when I when I do guesting on other shows, like Levin last night. We know the problems, Bill O'Reilly. The question is, how do you fix it? Now, I'm always quick to say elections matter. Stop voting in Democrats. I'm not even sure it's that easy, but it's a decent answer, given there's really nothing else I can think of at the moment that fixes it. Let me ask you. You're smarter than me. We know the problems. How do we fix it? I don't know if it's fixable. Then why are you still here? Why is John and Margot still here? Why is Corey Zelnick still here? Millionaires, billionaires, why are all you guys still here if, in fact, these problems can't be fixed? Logistics, family. That's why I'm here. I mean, Hannity just left. He, You know, I know him. And he lives 10 miles from me on the north shore of Long Island. So he just went down to Florida. He just packed it. He didn't even sell his house. He just closed it up and said, I'm leaving. All right. I don't want to do that. Um, But I don't know whether this system is fixable because there are so many. There are two classes of people now in New York who are working against the greater good. And this is important for everybody to understand this. The first crew doesn't give a fig 
about politics, government. They don't care. They live in their own little world that they've designed. Some of them are substance people. Some of them are computer people. Some of them pursue whatever they pursue on their little phones. You talk to them in the street, they have no idea who the governor is. They don't care. That crew is growing as the public school systems collapse. They don't care, don't want to hear about it, live in a fantasy world. The second crew is what I just mentioned. These are people who say, I'm not going to break my back like O'Reilly and Rosenberg every day to make a living. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get educated. I'm going to just put my hand out, and the Democrats are going to put money and food stamps and everything else in my hand. That's how I'm going to live. You combine those two, and it overwhelms the others. And that's what we have in New York. That's what they have in California. You know, you said one word during that excellent answer. And it goes back to my answer all the time when I say that's why elections matter. You said Democrats. That's really the only political word you used when you said Democrats put all these things in your hand when you don't work for them. So maybe, just maybe, my answer almost every time of elections matter, vote Republican, maybe that is part of the answer. Well, there are two problems with that. So the Democratic Party is the party of entitlements and has been since Franklin Roosevelt was elected to beat down the Great Depression. Our parents lived through that. All right. Ever since FDR was in office, the Democratic Party has stood for, we will help you. We will get you through this. All right. The Republican Party is the party of, quote, self-reliance. We don't want a big colossus government. It's on you to succeed, but we'll give you the pathway to do it. But you have to work for it, and you have to be honest, and you have to be a good citizen. That's the Republican philosophy. So there are different philosophies here. But the Republican Party lacks leadership. Trump is not a Republican. So... That's the problem. You are getting a lot of poor people coming to the United States. Tens of millions of poor people are flooding into this country, many of whom are coming to New York City and the suburbs. Yeah. Most of them are good people, but they are all poor people. They need help. But in order to help them, you have to punish the taxpayer. Me. And I don't want to be punished. I'm not, a, right. I'm not a bad guy, but I don't care about these people. I'm sorry. Well, there has to be a balance, <laughs> but there's no balance. None. Zero. When you open a border and say to 10 million foreign nationals, come on in and do whatever you want to do, that's anarchy. Yet 40% of the American people still support Joe Biden. Not just Joe Biden, but I was at an event in the city. Let's make it real local, okay, real local, at uh, Anthony Scaramucci's restaurant. You mentioned Scaramucci. This goes back about a month ago for a young lady who is an uh, assemblywoman in Queens, Jen Rajkumar. And I was there for her, and uh, the mayor showed up, Eric Adams. 
And there was a really nasty story that came out that day about the illegals, as I refer to them as, not migrants or asylum seekers, stop it. And uh, Eric Adams goes up on stage and makes it a point that the reason why New York is so great, not wasn't Bill O'Reilly, is so great is because this is who we are. We were built on this. This is what we do. We don't turn people who need help from other countries away. We bend over backwards. But that's a distortion of history because Mayor Adams doesn't understand the history. Well, explain it to him and our listeners. You're right. Explain it, please. Well, when my ancestors came over to New York in 1867, after they were thrown off their farm in County Cabin, Ireland, the farm was seized by London because my ancestors couldn't pay the onerous taxes that the British put on the poor Irish farmers so they could seize their land, which they did. This was post-famine. Well, two 16-year-old boys got on a coffin ship in Galway. Their mother never saw them again and sailed across to Brooklyn. A coffin ship is, uh, they called it that because so many people died on the voyage. And my ancestors' job, the reason they got passage on the boat, they didn't have any money, was they took the corpses and threw them in the ocean. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. When they got to Brooklyn. Not exactly the love boat. uh no, it wasn't the love boat. It wasn't exciting and new. I could sing that song. song. Maybe I'll do it on Thursday. I love that song. Um, anyway, when they got to Brooklyn, they were signed up right away by the Democratic Party. As soon as they walked off the boat, they signed here, and they were Democrats. But they didn't get anything. There was no welfare. There was no public housing, no food stamps. What they got was, here's a shovel. You're going to dig a a skyscraper. You're going to get into a tunnel. You're going to do this, which they did. Hmm. Okay? They needed the labor in New York. And so they got the shovel, and they forged ahead. Now, it's Mayor Adams is going to give me money. That never happened before. This has never happened before. Well, he's going to argue that uh, him and the governor, can't stand her, Kathy Hochul, that the both of them are advocates of getting these people work, getting them jobs. Look, that's a noble goal, and it's not Adams and Hochul's fault that the Biden administration opened the border, but both of them were cheerleaders for that. 100%. So now they turn around and they go, oh, um, O'Reilly and Rosenberg, we're going to take your tax money and give it to people from Nicaragua. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. They're not supposed to be here. There's a way to get here. But they said, no, I'm just going to walk across the border. The system is so corrupt that it's eroding all of the traditions of America. And that's what's happening. That's what we're seeing before our eyes. And New York, California, and Illinois are the three worst. And maybe not in that order. Okay, so in the final 60 seconds to one minute, this is uh, two minutes, I should say. What a fascinating conversation, Bill. This is why you're the best. You really are. Uh, Yesterday was President's Day. Nobody has a better grasp of history than you. 
So we've heard this already. In my lifetime, if God is good to me, I'll be 57, Bill, in April. Jimmy Carter was far and away, far and away without question, the worst president in my lifetime. And there's no doubt in my mind that Joe Biden has gone way past him. The only question really for me is, where does Trump belong? You know, I put him there with Reagan, but Reagan had two terms. Trump only had one. And we know all of the short givings with Trump, but just... Getting the better, the real better historical perspective. Bill O'Reilly, where do Biden and Trump belong? And in your opinion, who is the greatest president of all time? Lincoln was the greatest president. He had the most to overcome, and what he did was an amazing thing. I'm finishing up my book, Confronting the Presidents, No Spin Assessments from Washington to Biden, out September 10th. Just finishing it now. So... I'm leading with this tonight on the No Spin News. You can access that on BillOReilly.com. It's my television broadcast because there's a survey out that says all kinds of crazy stuff about the presidents. Trump governed well for four years if your barometer is helping working Americans. If that is your litmus test for a successful president, Trump did that. And he kept the lid on foreign chaos. The problem is the January 6th stuff, the election stuff. That sullied the four years and obliterated it. And now the enemies of the Republican Party, enemies of conservatives, enemies of Donald Trump, use that, just that. To put him as the worst president, this, that, and the other thing. It's not fair. It's not right. He did make a mistake about the election stuff, and we've gone over this. He made a mistake, and that's being used to obliterate the good things that he did. Biden's a, a disaster on every front. Every front is a disaster. Worst ever, right? Second worst. Who's worst? James Buchanan, the president before Lincoln, allowed the South to defy the federal government, to arm itself, did nothing for four years. So when Lincoln came in, the Civil War was a fait accompli, and the Civil War is the worst thing that's ever happened mm, to this country. I like that. Uh, for me, one more overrated, and I wasn't alive. He was assassinated in 63. I was born in 67. But looking back at some of the things that he did and went to bed with, literally and figuratively, i got to think Kennedy, good looks, Disaster what happened to him, a bit overrated, but uh, for you, most overrated and most underrated president ever. Well, Kennedy gets an incomplete, obviously. We don't know um, whether he's going to pull out of Vietnam. There's a whole bunch of things there that, that we didn't know. He did raise the morale of the country. Overrated president, uh, you know, I would have to say Thomas Jefferson. He was a nasty guy, Thomas Jefferson. Ooh, was he nasty. Underrated president is a guy you probably don't even know, James K. Polk. I've heard of him, obviously. Why was he underrated? Well, Polk is responsible for all of the land um, from Texas on up to Washington State. He kicked the Mexicans' butt and took all the land. Wow. (laughs) And we wouldn't even have that land if not for Polk. And Polk had that vision. He said, you know, you Mexicans going to mess with us. And they did. Mexican, Mexico, um, they 
baited the United States and, and Polk said, okay, here we come. <laughs> We're going to wow. take all of your North American holdings, California. I'd give California back to Mexico if they were me now. <laughs> they, they go back. But Polk, he was one-term president, okay, terrible health problems when he's in office. But his vision was an America from Atlantic to Pacific, from Rio Grande to Canada. And he fulfilled that. I can't wait to read this book. I swear to God, September 10th. And yeah, what is you'll, it? You'll learn more about your country in this book than you have your entire life. I believe it. Well, what's the name of the book again? The book is called Confronting the President's No-Spin Assessments from Washington to Biden. Oh, my God, I can't wait. Listen, uh, you're the best. I enjoyed this immensely today. I always do. We'll do it again Thursday morning coming up at 840. I love you, Bill O'Reilly. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Sid. That was awesome. Bill O'Reilly, that was great. I can't wait to read that book. I mean that. I'm, um, I'm fascinated by all this presidential history. I really am. Never was before it was... Who played second base for the 55 Dodgers? And, you know, who were the three different quarterbacks that went to a Super Bowl for Joe Gibbs? By the way, they were Theismann, Doug Williams, and Mark Rippon. <laughs> we'll take a short break. A lot more to do. You get the bonus hour of me today with a huge guest, Subway Crime. Right now, a big story in New York. Why? We'll talk to the transit chief, the king of the subway. Sorry, Curtis. Michael Kemper, he's coming up at 10.15. Keep it right here. Exciting and new. Come aboard. We're expecting you. Back to you, the love phone. Soon we'll be making another run. The love phone promises something for everyone. Set a course for adventure, your mind on a new romance. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. I just can't get excited about the Mets. Am I missing something? No, you're not. I totally agree. And the way they handled Buck last year, Stearns, was a disgrace. Uh, Buck deserved to come back. They handled, they handled that terribly. Who knows? I'm Mendoza. It's a flip of a coin if he's going to be any good. I don't care what the Yankees say. Um, you know, while he's the greatest bench coach in the world, who the hell knows? In the in, in the in the cauldron of a huge uh, ball game in in, in July, is he going to push the right buttons? Who not? You have no idea of knowing that. And the Mets are not that good. I mean, I I think their pitching stinks. I mean, I listen. I think overall, you know, they're due to be a little better because everybody's going to write them off. There's no pressure on them. Both eyes off their back. They had a terrible year last year. I think that will motivate them to a certain degree. And I think they will overachieve from a lineup perspective. And I think that you'll be surprised at times. I think they'll be feisty. But as far as being a good team, how? Mm-hmm. 
Legend himself, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. He was on exactly two hours ago, part of that legendary Mike and the Mad Dog combination. Now, Doggy for years, his own big time show, Mad Dog Unleashed. Sirius XM, Channel 82, 3 to 6 p.m. every weekday afternoon. Of course, his own show, High Heat, on the MLB Network, 1 o'clock every afternoon. And those uh, ESPN appearances he makes with Stephen A. Smith are great. So there he said the Mets, uh, not gonna be, how are they going to be good? They're not. I agree. The Mets are not good. I told him at the top of the conversation, this is about the least excited I've been about the Mets in years. Now, when Joe Beningo comes on this show last week, another WFN legend, and says, I got to tell you, Fred Wilpon, Steve Cohen, I'm not seeing a major difference. He's talking about wins, folks. And he's right. He's right. I mean, the last last year, the Mets went 75 and 87. Steve Cohen has a ton of money. A ton of money. Billions. Billions. You would think after finishing 12 games under 500. I was there with Keith Kantrowitz in August and September. There was nobody there. You would think he would take some of those billions and make sure he landed somebody big this summer. This winter, I should say. Instead, Otani goes to the Dodgers. Yamamoto goes to the Dodgers. Soto goes to the Yankees. The Mets got Luis Severino. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 12 games under five hundred. So don't tell me you can't compare Wilpon and Cohen. You absolutely can. Right now, it seems to me like Steve Cohen is much more interested in his new casino than the Mets winning a ring. Now, the Yankees, whole other ballgame. They went 82-80 and 80 last year, but seven games better than the Mets, but a colossal disappointment. Everybody thought Boone was getting fired, Cashman was getting fired, and what happens? The Mets fire Buck Showalter, made no sense, Stearns, and the Yankees keep everybody. Make no sense. But they go out and get Soto and others. So I asked Doggy this morning about the Yanks. And here's what Russo had to say. That's 18. The Yankees, I would be, they would be my pick to win the American League East. Now, listen, Houston is very good. And the Yankees never beat Houston. Hater's going to really help that bullpen with Presley. They got Altuve signed. They're going to get Tucker signed. They're going to get Bregman signed. Um, you know, last year they lost game seven to Texas. They were the second best team in baseball. Houston is no – everybody else is up in the air, not Houston. Yankees never beat Houston. Houston owns the Yankees. So that would worry me a little bit because the Houston's got gamers and the Yankees sometimes don't. But, I mean, other than that, Yankees got a hell of a chance playing the World Series. And uh, one more. I did mention 77, 78, and 81. All three of those years, the Yankees played the Dodgers in the World Series, those great Tommy Lasorda teams. One more, we uh, a little Super Bowl talk, and we know, of course, that the Kansas City Chiefs 
one again. That's been marred a little bit by violence since with the awful shootings at their celebration parade. But if you just concentrate on the football the day before, days before, I should say, Chiefs won again. They've now won consecutive Super Bowls. They became the first team since Brady's Patriots in 20 years to do that. Pat Mahomes has already won three Super Bowls. He's 28 years old. 28. Tom Brady won seven. You got to figure if Mahomes plays another 13, 14 years, like Brady did to his age, he's going to win a bunch more. So there's a lot of folks out there today that are saying that Patrick Mahomes is already the greatest quarterback ever. Brady's got seven. We know that. Montana's got four. Bradshaw, four. You had Unitas, Roger Storback, you know, all these guys considered by many to be the best. But a lot of folks are saying Mahomes already at 28 is the best quarterback ever. Is that what Dog said this morning? Here it is. Mahomes is too good at the bottom line. Best quarterback I've ever seen. That includes Brady. Um, he is that good. Now you're not going to have this. He may not have the same career that Brady has as far as seven Super Bowls are concerned. But at his peak, at his peak, he's a better player because he runs better. And he's, he's just incredible. And uh, you know, he went down the field not once, twice uh, to win that game. So there you have it. Uh, according to Doggy, the Mets are not going to be very good. The Yankees got to beat Houston, but if they do, they could go back to the World Series. And Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback of all time. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Oi. Lisa Ganji checks in. We love Lisa on this show. She's a diehard Met fan. She's at City Field every game. She is a psycho when it comes to that. We love her. She goes, I agree. Our team stinks. You ready for this, Lewis? And they told me my seats are going up 38%. Good timing. Excellent. 12 games under 500, zero expectations for this year. And they're charging Met fans 
38% more for their seats. Sorry, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. This is the Mets organization. How has your, your winter been? The New York Mets have missed you and, <laughs> and you, your money. Yeah, and coming yeah. to all the concessions. Don't forget, we've re- redone our food areas <laughs> and made them even bigger and more spectacular. Perhaps you'd consider re-upping your seats at a mere 40% more. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, Congratulations from the Mets. That, uh, sorry, Lisa. That song, American Dream, it's my friend Hadash Levy. Hadash lives down in Boca Raton. She's part of that. I call them the hot Israeli mafia. They're always like Siggy Flicker. And then you got um, Michelle Lubin from Jexit. And then you got Hadass. They're all my friends. They're all great Americans. Love Israel. Love Donald Trump. And they're all good looking. Here is uh, live from Boca, my friend Hadass. Good morning, Hadass. How are you? Good morning, Sid. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That is a great song. It sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. So yes, I, I think that debuted at like number number forty six or what? What is the latest? I know that song is moving up the charts. So the album was released a couple a few days ago. It reached the top thirty five in the pop iTunes album charts. Um, we haven't even released our first single. The only thing that was released was my Star Spangled Banner video. Um, the first single will be released this Friday, God's Land, and I'm um, really excited for that. But the album is called American Dream. That was the American Dream track from the album. You know, you talk about the Star Spangled Banner, and I know you're on your way to CPAC. In fact, we're going to take a short break momentarily. We're going to bring you back and talk about that trip and Israel and Trump and all that stuff. But uh, I've seen you sing the national anthem at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, I'm not even, maybe even at the um, at the, the Trump rallies. I don't know, but I think you have. Uh, how many places have you sung now the national anthem? Oh, man, I've sang the national anthem for the Miami Dolphins, the Marlins, uh, the Miami Heat. And I I actually moved from Los Angeles a few years ago. I used to sing for the Lakers and the Dodgers. But I've I've been singing the national anthem and the Israeli anthem since I was 12 years old. I sang when I was 12 at the Los Angeles Coliseum for the championship game between Israel and Mexico, where Israel uh, won that soccer game. So I've been singing this both anthems for a very long time. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, uh, obviously, Hadass, I want to talk about Trump. Again, you're going to CPAC, Israel, and Los Angeles, too, what it was like living in that city, which went from one of the great cities, the city of angels, to the city of hell. So we'll take a short break. We'll go back live to Boca Raton, my friend Hadass Levy. American dream, folks. Check this out. Buy it this week. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. All aboard the Trump train. M-A-G. Your next stop is the MAGA Nation. Was a believer from the get-go. I saw him coming with a 
Taylor, what's the name of this one now? Uh, what I found, MAGA Nation. MAGA Nation. <laughs> Makes cool. sense. She loves Trump. I'm here to remind you folks that uh, today and the rest of the week, including yesterday, Brian Kilmeade is on vacation. So because I love this WABC audience, I agreed to stick around another hour. So the show, which is usually 6 to 10, gets the biggest ratings in New York and across the country, will now be 6 to 11 all week long. And uh, one of the big stories here in New York is that subway crime is up. But is that the fault of the cops? I don't know. And the man that's in charge of the subways, Transit Chief Michael Kemper, will join me coming up in about 15 minutes. So this bonus hour, you get a huge guest. But the singer of that song you just heard is back with us, once again live from Boca Raton, Florida, my friend Hadas Levy. Hadas, uh, you mentioned the fact that at one point you lived in Los Angeles, you sang at Laker games and Dodger games and all that stuff. Uh, that city has really fallen on hard times. The whole state, in fact, it's, it's kind of a neck-and-neck neck race between where I live right now, New York and California, for two of the greatest states in the history of this country, and right now, they're probably one, two on everybody's worst state lists. Are you uh, disappointed, even saddened to see what happened to your former city and former state? Oh, absolutely, Sid. Listen, I moved to uh, Los Angeles in 1983. Um, Ronald Reagan. She was about to say Ronald Reagan was president. It's a nice picture, by the way, on the uh, sitting friends in the morning screen. Is she still there? We're, we're all right. Alec is efforting uh, that. No, I think we. I think we lost her. Thing. Yeah. Well, you got, got it right now. Oh, there she is. Okay. Hold on. All righty. Let's go back to her. Uh, Hadass, you're about to say you moved to uh, L.A. in '83. Ronald Reagan was president. I think that's where you were going. So, yeah, my parents moved from Israel. Uh, we moved to Clearwater, Florida when I was one, to Los Angeles when I was two. And my parents, uh, my dad was working for a company in Israel, Tabiran, and they wanted to move him back to Israel. But he fell in love with Los Angeles. So we stayed there. It was a place growing up, really beautiful. I mean, California is a beautiful state. However, I think things really started to change when Barack Obama became president. Um, that's when I actually became heavily, in, you know, it, involved in politics. That's when I really started to see what was going on. And that's why I fell in love with Trump when he announced running for president, because I really believe, still believe that he is the last hope in saving the country. So uh, kids, school-age children, and I didn't want to raise them in California. We moved to Boca Raton three years ago. It was the best decision we made for our children. And um, I just think Florida is a completely different vibe. Being in a red state, you know, it's it's different. I've gone back to visit in L.A., and I'm just really happy that we made that move. Um, and that's why I'm to Florida from many blue states. Um, yeah. It's just you you feel the patriotism here. You no, really no, I, I lived there for 16 years. Uh, I made the decision to come back to New York because in my business, the entertainment business, there's nothing like New York, nothing. So uh, I could never enjoy the success and the recognition in Florida, Boca, Miami, anywhere that I'm doing here in New York. So I had to come back. But living there for 16 years, it was gorgeous. There's no question about it. And uh, the people 
are patriotic. There's no sales tax. There's not homeless all over the streets. There's no dirt. It's just uh, a completely different lifestyle than it is here in New York. So as an Israeli Hadass Levy, how do you think the current administration is doing with the Israel-Hamas war? Well, I, I think they're not doing a good job. I mean, I think Biden wanted to offer a two-state solution again after Hamas just attacked, you know, Israel in the most, you know, complete, worse than the Holocaust, really. There's more, more murder in one day than the Holocaust, and he wants to reward them with two yeah, the phone is not working, so we'll uh, we'll take a short break. We'll get back to with us at a later date again. She's on her way to CPAC, and I think Trump speaks tomorrow. Do you know, Justin, when Donald Trump speaks? Is it tomorrow or is it Thursday at CPAC? I believe it's tomorrow, but I'll double-check for you, that's for sure. And is uh, Carrie Lake uh, on right before him or right after him? Well, it's got to be one of the two. <laughs> He's <like> an idiot, <laughs> my God. <laughs> well done. We'll find all these things out. We'll, uh, we'll, take, we'll take a break. We'll let Noam do the news. We'll come back with your fifth hour today, the bonus hour, with the head of the transit. That's right, Transit Chief Michael Kemper. A very important conversation coming up with me and Kemper right here on the fifth hour of Sid and Friends in the morning. Sit in friends in the morning. Friends, Heartbreak beat. You know, my friend Lynn Hart, terrific, really terrific, reminds me that right now no one is listening to Mark Simone. Nobody. Because we know what happens in this town. Everybody listens to me. Everybody. No one listens to WOR. Nobody. 
And then they either stay with my boy Kill Me Do I Love or they switch to Simone at 10 o'clock. But being a man, an extra hour all week from 10 to 11, right now there is no one listening to Mark Simone. Nobody. And why would they? I'm about to do a very, very important interview. Now, look, let me be completely honest and transparent up front. My next guest is a close friend. I love him. I love him and his wife. You know, uh, the... the there's a there's a a section of uh, numbers you're not looking at. A, <laughs> I know you're not looking. Uh, at. Calm down, Mark. You're Simone, not, I know. We'll, we'll talk about it at dinner one hey, night. Don't worry. It's all right. Yeah. If you think that, that's all right. If you think it's good, but I, that's not telling you the whole story at all. That's really so Michael exciting. Kemper is the tre- chief of transit for the NYPD, and again, he's a close friend, very close, and his wife Marilyn is lovely. So he works for the NYPD, and he's in charge of the subways and. Channel 5, Fox, and New York Post have done stories the last couple of days that crime is up. But but here's the issue. They're making more arrests. Very rarely do those two things happen at the same time. Usually you make more arrests, crime goes down. In this case, they're both going up at the same time. Now, I know the answer why, and it has nothing to do with Kemper. Nothing. Sorry, Curtis. But here he is, my friend, the chief of transit, Michael Kemper. Kemp, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good day. Now, before we talk about the issue at hand, the subways, Curtis, uh, as you know, is on 7 a.m. every morning. I know you listen when you can. So yep. he um, he really does know the subways. You know that. All kidding aside, let's all stick aside. Nobody knows the subways like Curtis. He has spent the better part of 45 years traveling those subways all over New York. He can tell you at every stop the history of every stop on the subway. So this morning he says, listen, I want to volunteer my services. I know you love Michael Kemper. I do. I want to help the city of New York. I want to sit down with Kemper at the 2nd Avenue Deli and try to help figure this thing out. Are you willing to sit down with Curtis and have that type of meeting? No, of course I am. Look, you, you hit the nail on the head. Curtis has been around a long time, decades. And if anyone knows the subway system, it's him. You know, I, I'm willing to talk to anyone. And I know how much a, a big a fan he is of uh, of mine personally. <laughs> he does like you personally. Of course he does. First of all, you're, you're a great guy who wouldn't like you personally. But on, this, on, the, on the note of this, uh, the crime going on. So, again, as I pointed out, Mike, very rarely are there more arrests, and yet crime is going up. What, what is going on there? Said, let, let me start by saying we're not even close to where we were from years ago in relation to crime in the subway system. I mean, here's the facts. Crime is way down versus year ago. Matter of fact, crime, overall crime was just down last year in 2023 with 60 less uh, uh, victims of crime in the subway system. But you're right. Um, year to date, you know, the first seven plus weeks of the year has been challenging for us in 2024. Uh, we are up in uh, a crime. And unfortunately, we've had some a few tragic and unfortunate incidents that occurred in recent weeks that have dominated the news cycle and has no doubt caused concern for our riders. And, you know, understandably so, because it concerns us as well. But make no mistake about it. Our cops, they're out there. They're out there in numbers. They're focused. They're engaging unlawful acts and they're making arrests at or near historic highs. That's just the facts. No, I know it is the facts. And look, I know you work for Eric and we just had a dinner together a couple nights ago. This is not going to be a political conversation. But I'll tell you about the state of New York, and bail reform has criminals, guys who commit crimes and girls, 
back on the streets in 15 minutes. So if I said to you, Michael Kemper, here's the deal. You guys go out there and there's a crime on the subway. You guys go do your job. You go arrest that person right away. And then, based upon the laws in New York, not politics, the laws in New York right now, that same person is out again in 15 minutes and in all likelihood committing another crime. Is that an accurate scenario? It's accurate far too often, unfortunately. And, look, I've been very vocal and transparent about this. Look, Sid, we find ourselves arresting the same people over and over and over again. And, you know, we're routinely arresting recidivist career criminals who are, you know, to be quite frank, praying on law-abiding New Yorkers who just want to use the subway system in peace. I mean, we're talking about we're arresting people that have been arrested dozens and dozens of times, sometimes even over 100 times. And let me remind you and let me remind your listeners, every time the NYPD arrests someone, we handcuff them, we take them out of the system to answer for their crime, yet somehow they're back and back in the subway system committing crimes, sometimes within hours. So that's really our challenge. I mean, I could give you a couple of examples I think that would drive my point home if you want. Do it, Real yes. Recent. So, you know, just last week in the Bronx, we had plainclothes cops riding a four train. It's about 5 o'clock in the morning, and they catch a guy red-handed cutting the pockets of a sleeping passenger and stealing his wallet and cell phone. That's a felony. That's a grand larceny, and that's the crime that really accounts for 50% of all crime in the subway system. That's the crime that's driving the crime increase this year. Um, these cops were in the right place, right time, all part of our deployment plan, and they arrest the guy. Uh, a guy that's committing the same crime that I just told you accounts for 50% of our crime and why our crime is up, and that's a tough arrest to make. And one should be that should be treated seriously, considering it's a felony. But lo and behold, they arrest him. They look at this guy. This arrest last week marked his 55th career arrest I could speak of. His 22nd in just the past 12 months. His fifth arrest already this year in 2024, and his third arrest for grand larceny felony in the last two months. And yet, here he is, he's out roaming the subway system, victimizing more riders. So in case anyone's curious what the NYPD is doing, you know, what their cops are doing, well, we've arrested this guy 55 times. The better question is, why are we forced to arrest him 50 times? Where is the accountability and consequences from the rest of the justice system? And and look, I could take this example and apply it, uh, you know, to far too many more people, you know, very unfortunately. No, it's uh, all fair. Once again, this is uh, the chief of transit, NYPD, Michael Kemper. Uh, Now, I could be wrong, but I think I heard this morning that you guys are going to deploy, even with all these arrests, more cops, maybe upwards of a 1,000. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I'm glad you brought that up because I want to get that out. Look. Our mayor, the police commissioner, has been very vocal, you know, from day one. Public safety is their top priority, and that certainly includes the subway system. And, you know, this uptick of crime this year is concerning uh, to us as well, deeply concerning. And, you know, investments have been made, and the police commissioner has directed uh, and and gave us an additional 1,000 cops a day uh, to patrol the subway system. And these are uniform cops, visible, that are going to be posted up at the turnstiles. Uh, on the platforms, riding the trains. So, again, look, to anyone listening, we've experienced upticks in crimes and spikes in crimes, but our cops are uh, just too good. There's nothing they can't accomplish. I'm very confident in short order that things will stabilize in the subway system. I really am. Let me tell you what pisses me off, though, Mike, because I don't make a billion dollars. I make a nice living, probably a lot more than most people. I understand that. 
But I, I pay for my card every month, $135, so I can take the train as much as I need to and or want to every day for the month. And every day, whether it's the 4 or 5 from 51st to 42nd, the 5 or the 4 or the 2 or the 3 from 42nd to Wall Street, every day I see these people, mostly kids but adults too, jumping over these turnstiles. And then I, I always feel like, you know, I'm going to read about this person somewhere down the road because it seems like a petty crime jumping over a turnstile. But then we've seen so many examples of people who do that that have done some really horrendous things along the way. So the question becomes, when do we start taking stuff like that in the subway system? Serious again, because uh, the other thing is it's costing the city a ton of money. Uh, you know, that, that's a great topic to talk about and i often talk to people and they tell me hey mike you know how you have to uh, uh you know uh, bring crime down you should really focus on fare evasion and i'm like oh wow <laughs> i didn't think of that thank you very much uh, look we are focused on fare evasion tremendous value on our just our presence at those turnstiles and focusing on fare evasion our fare evasion arrests and summonses are at historic highs right tremendous value when we often catch people fare evading that have plenty of money to pay, people that are wanted on, on some serious crimes, people in possession of guns. That happens all the time. But I need to remind you and I need to remind your listeners, fair evasion, the, the charge of fair evasion has changed the consequences uh, over the last few years. Whereas a few years ago it was treated like a crime and you would be arrested. It's now a civil summons. Yeah. Right. So we arrest someone or we stop, strike that. If we stop someone for fair evasion, that's a civil summons. And they're released within minutes with a summons. And if they don't answer the summons, there's no warrant, uh, you know, issued. So to say that we're not focused on, on fare evasion is just not true. Um, we've had over 100,000 fare evasion arrests and summonses last year. And looking at this year's numbers in relation to fare evasion, we're, we're up versus last year. And last year was a historic high. So tremendous value, and we're still going to remain focused on that. Two more, Mike. We'll let you run. This is uh, my friend, the chief of transit, NYPD, Michael Kemper, one of the toughest guys I know. Good guy, but a tough guy. Mike, I want to ask you about uh, the terrorism threat because uh, you remember not long after October 7th, maybe days after, I was uh, 100% sure that I caught a terrorist <laughs> at the 28th Street and Park Avenue stop by the Ford train, and you guys ran to the scene. I'm telling you, folks, you got to believe me, within 10 minutes, they ran to the scene to make sure this guy was okay. Now, as it turns out, the guy actually worked for the MTA. He was still a prick, mind you, but he worked for the MTA, and I haven't really seen anything else or heard anything uh, since October 7th in Israel happening here. Are you guys still worried, or maybe that's a bad word, uh, are you guys still prepared for a terrorist attack in the subways in this city? Let me start by saying I, I, uh, I wasn't going to bring that up, but since you brought it up, that was awesome. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I haven't laughed that hard since, so thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> Look, of course, listen. This is the New York City subway system, the largest subway system in the nation. It's certainly the target of many. Uh, we're well aware of that. We're prepared. We have our own dedicated anti-terrorism unit assigned to the Transit Bureau that reports to me. And on top of that, we have probably the greatest counterterrorism and intelligence bureau uh, in the nation, in the NYPD, you know, led by Deputy Commissioner Weiner. Uh, so we're aware of it. Um, and that's a, a, an issue that we focus on every 
single day. Make no mistake about that. So on the way out, Mike, uh, perception sometimes is more important than reality. The reality is millions and millions of people take the subway every day. I do it. And I've never been mugged. I've never been attacked. I've never been touched, spit on, nothing. And I take the trains all day, every day for many years. And I think I represent the overwhelming majority of people. Yet, yet, the perception is the subways are too dangerous. Can't take them. Can't travel. Can't go to the city. The subways are too dangerous. Is that an unfair assessment when you look at the numbers of travelers compared to crime? So let me give you some facts and let me give you some data. The New York City subway system is the largest subway system in the nation. Four plus million people a day use our subway system. That's more daily users than the entire population of Los Angeles. In 2023, we averaged about six major index crimes a day in the subway system serving four plus million people. And in 2023, subway crime represented less than 2% of all crime in a city. So what do I mean by that? Out of 100 crimes that occur in New York City, less than two occurred in the subway system. But to your point and to people's point, perception and fear is real. So we recognize that. Sid, we recognize that. And certainly uh, the incidents that occurred last week, which was unusually busy for us, certainly don't help our cause. So we're aware of it, and that's why we have an increased presence in the subway system. Our cops are out there. They're engaging these unlawful acts head on. Arrests are up. Quality of life summonses are up. All areas of enforcement are up dramatically. Your cops are working. They do such a difficult job. And Sid, I got to be honest with you, they are second to none. They're amazing, amazing people. They, they remain focused no matter what goes on around them. And they're all out there, you know, trying their best uh, to make the subway system as safe as they can. That I know it. No, I know it, Mike. And I think you're doing a great job. I do. I, and I would like to do that a little deli meet with me, you and Curtis, on a serious note, because he does have some intelligence to offer to uh, to that. But you're doing a great job. And, and uh, you know, listen, you and I are good friends. So I did make that very clear before the start of this conversation. But I'm glad you had all those numbers and all that data, because sometimes, you know, we get carried away. We just do. And and the truth is, it's not nearly as bad as people think. But like you said, you're being honest, there is still work to do. Michael Kemper, as always, great job, buddy. Thank you. Good. Before I hang up, i got to give a shout-out, could I? Yes. All right. So I, I got my uh, my right hand here, my XO, uh, Chief Timmy Scratch, who is uh, an amazing cop. He's an amazing leader, and he helps me every day. His dad, Walter is a long-time listener, big fan of yours, and I know Walter Scratch is listening, so shout-out to Walter Scratch. My man, Walter, thank you for listening, buddy. God bless you. Any friend of Michael Kemper and Jimmy is a friend of mine. Mike, thank you so much, buddy. Consequences yeah. and accountability, that's, that's the name or the takeaway. Consequences and accountability, there needs to be that. Agreed. Thank you, Michael Kemper. Great job, buddy. You're the best. Sid, be well. You thank too. You. All the love. Michael Kemper, folks, and he's right. And uh, that's, you can't pin that on Kemper. He's saying it. He's saying, I'm arresting these people. What do you want me to do? Consequences and accountability. There's no repercussions. He just told you they've arrested people 55 to 100 times for committing the same crime. How does that fall on the transit chief? That falls on Hochul. That falls on our legislators, our lawmakers, and to a certain extent, Eric. Enough of that. Don't bitch and complain, even Curtis. 
about subway crime when the same people are doing it over and over and over again. By the way, on the way out, that just goes to show you what a hero Daniel Penny was. Yeah, I know he got indicted by the grand jury because the DA in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, is a complete and utter jerk-off. But the truth is, Daniel Penny, what he did to Jordan Neely, while unfortunate, had to be done. And Daniel Penny is a hero. Back after this. This one, of course, is freeze frame. I don't think it's Jake Giles' birthday, is it? Yes. Good job. Good call. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's dead, too, by the way. Jake Giles is dead? Yeah. No, he's not. Don't say that. Well, you're, you're not thinking of Peter Wolf. You're thinking of Peter Wolf, the singer, probably. Oh. Peter oh, Wolf did, you hear, did you hear that Elton John broke up? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bernie Taupin's coming in now, yeah. I tell you. Oh, so there was no Jake Giles in the band? Yes, he's the guitarist. Oh, okay, got the it. The band is, okay. was, he founded it, basically. I don't even know if Peter, but Peter Wolf's the singer. 
Peter Wolf. Okay, so he's singing. That's the guy right now. Okay, yes. gotcha. Did you know uh, another crazy fact? Did you know who, who he was married to? An actress. Peter Wolf was married to the lady that played the wife on the Adams Family. Oh, wow. You are so close. Yeah. No, I don't think so. No. Uh, he was married to a very, very young Bo Derrick. Oh. Before John Derrick. Before the dreadlocks. Yes. Before she did that with her See hair. what I'm saying? Faye Dunaway. Oh. Can you tell me the name of the song that was playing? <laughs> you don't even... No, I love Faye Dunaway. Okay, sure. She was know. one of the greatest actresses ever. No. She, really? Let okay. me tell you something. You know, we always talk about the biopics. I think that's the right word. <laughs> yeah. So I always say that the best one I've ever seen, I swear, oh, biopics, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, when he played Truman Capote. Yeah. Everybody always goes to, you know, the what's his name? He played Ray Charles. Ray Charles uh, Jamie Foxx. Right, right, right. But uh, Faye Dunaway, when she played, um, oh, come on, um, Mommy Dearest. Oh, yes, uh, uh, the actor, Betty, yes. Betty Davis. It no, it Davis? wasn't Betty Davis. No. Come on, help me out here. Uh, let me get Was it Joan from... Crawford? Yeah, I think it's Joan Crawford. Oh, okay, there you go. That was an amazing performance. Well, I, I, I appreciate your mention, Ray, <laughs> and the Ray. The Ray lets him kind of... You know, I, I like a beat behind it. That's all I mean. You know, let me do Pretty it good, a, little, a little bit. Just well, you, this is how talented I am. I'm actually talking to Lewis, getting involved in a three-man conversation. Oh, and hey. And texting Alina Hobbit at the same time. Wow. Who will join us at 8.15 tomorrow morning, the lovely Donald Trump attorney, Alina Haba. The, uh, can you tell me the name of the song? Alec, I want Alec to answer this. Yeah. He's too smart. What? 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 what are you talking about? And I love Alec like a son. I'm not involved in this conversation. Well, now you are. Now you are. I want Lou out because Lou's too smart. <laughs> what, did we, what does that say about me? You're not very smart. Oh. So here it is. Get smart. Oh, Derek, he just mentioned in her dreadlocks. Yeah. I guess they're called that. I don't think I they're know. called that. They were the, braided hair. What dreadlocks? Okay, they weren't called dreadlocks. The only thing I can think of. She's running down the <laughs> beach. I think uh, I think Dudley Moore was drunk. Yeah. Odds are he was. Yeah. In the great movie Ten, following her, yeah. she was gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, what gonna... was the song oh, that this was is playing? Very difficult. Oh, come on, baby. This is, I mean, you're like asking a, a difficult question to somebody. I don't even know what you started with. Do you like, even know who right Bo Derrick? You... Do you know who Bo Derrick is? No. Oh. No, stop. No, no. come on. You don't remember when you were... Maybe he wasn't even little maybe, yet. Maybe I he, maybe he wasn't the born. face. What year was... Uh, hey, no, I'm looking up for me. What year was the, the movie 10? He may not have been born yet, in all fairness to I Justin. probably wasn't. The movie 10? Uh, yeah. Bo Derek, that movie? Yeah. yeah he what does, y- what year was that? Justin uh, never heard of Bo Derek. Was it 1979? That sounds right. Yeah, that... But you never heard of Bo Derek, really? I never heard of her. Her husband, John Derek, also married. Yeah. Have you ever heard of this lady? She was a big star in the Bond movies, Ursula Andress. Yes. You're He's such a liar. He's such a liar. I didn't even finish. I'm like, I can't have two no's in a row. That's not how this works. Yeah. Yeah. You got to sprinkle a yes in there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Smart man. What year was though, the Bo Derek movie there? I think he's right. It's got to be 79. 79. Yeah. All right, so you ready for the song? Lewis, this is a tough one. No, well, This is going to show my true Iron Eagle genius. Hold on. Let me give him. I, he All needs right. a hint, Justin, maybe. Uh, I can't even, give, I can't like even give him a hint. It's, well, well, first of all, it's not a popular song. No, it's not. It's not. It's 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 opera. What do you mean, popular song? Not, I don't think it's opera. Yeah, opera? I would call it opera, I guess. No, it's, it's, it's classical music is what it is, classical music. It's, and it's not Mozart, and it's not no, right. you're, Beethoven. Now, now you're in the right now, area. If, now, it's, even if I give Justin the artist, he's not going to get it. No, he wouldn't get it. The artist is Ravel. No. <laughs> I can't. It's like the funniest thing you've ever heard. 
Now, I... Now. You never heard of Ravel's Bolero, I guess. I I, you know, you're not even speaking English. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it, Lou. I'm, I'm going uh, to bet my whole house on that, that that was the right answer. Uh, yeah. Oh, I thought I played it here. I don't know. Yeah, play it here. It. And we'll go out to break, and we'll come back. Once again, folks, 14 more minutes. Then you, uh, you should stay here with Curtis, because nobody's better than Curtis. But if you're a Simone listener... You got 14 more minutes. Here it is. <laughs> it's it's helpful, those, no, those numbers are still not right. I don't know where you get those Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Boy, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. DM me on Instagram. I guess she's a big fan of the show. She said, uh, what a show today. Classical music, Bill O'Reilly and Sid at his best against the demented idiot in the White House. Irene Kapner. Well, I got a, I got a million of these now. So. And various people taking it in the uh, you-know-where. That's it. In the rectum. In the, right. I'll let you. Finish your, yeah. Finish your uh, great thought. That's yeah. a great thought by you. I don't want to take it away from well, you. Well, thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. Olga loved the show today, too. She always does. Olga loves everything. Olga and Pat show. are two of the yep. best people ever. Yep. And uh, Lynn and uh, Rios and uh, I don't even know. The list goes. There's too many. I can't read all the names. My friend uh, Romel. It just goes on and on, bro. So, so instead of reading the names, you yeah. yell at them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't read all your names. Stop doing it. I'll read some of the names. How many doctors are going to be standing over for your autopsy and go, I don't understand how he said this. What? Where is the synapse that connects this to this? Uh, Jacqueline Toberoff, too. She, uh, Cheryl Marie. And Lynn Hort, Yehuda Hanikman, 
uh, the Mandreville Churchill and uh, whatever. There's a lot of that. Kim, you know. <laughs> You're getting upset and mad again, though. Tony Zanowich, <laughs> Mad Storch, <laughs> Tom, Amy, right. Marion Kotosi, she sent me a yarmulke. Well, there's a lot of names. Well, I mean, fine. Oh, I'm getting sick of it already. Jeez. Two names. There's a limit. A couple of names, and that's right. it. That well, means... how many did I just name? Uh, you named a about lot. Over ten. <laughs> well, I'm very popular, bro. <laughs> Michelle Karekis. I love Keep her. Going. Tommy DiNapoli. Okay, uh-huh. see you in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I look uh, to my left, and we're about to wrap things up, hand it off to Curtis. What an amazing show, I must say. So every day now, when the show ends, take inside baseball a little bit. When the show ends, my workday is not over. Some days I have meetings, Chad, John, whatever. But every day after the show, just about every day, I have to record a commercial, a promo, something in the Chris Libertini studio. But the guy that has now taken over that responsibility is former Sitting Friends in the Morning character, Macedonia Bill. So every morning about the end of my show, I look to my left and the psycho was sitting out there with like two or three pieces of paper. <laughs> I see him. He's just sitting there, you know. And who could look more psycho than Phil? <laughs> he just, he looks Phil? like, he looks, you know, <laughs> and he looks like one of the guys that Kemper's arrested 55 times. <laughs> because he looks like he'd be a nice guy with a yeah. smile, yeah. but yeah. you know, that's the one. Then he's got this, uh, this like mustache beard, which could easily put him in Gaza, easily. Mm-hmm. And he's got three or four pieces of paper, and it's always the same routine every day. I yell at him because I don't want to do it. <laughs> and then he says, please. I realize that's not his fault. Right. So I do it. Yeah. But um, like today, I'm going to yell at him again. Yeah. Right now I'm yelling at him. <laughs> uh, this is this has to be recorded. I just, I, I'm not. It's He's not like, my idea. Brother, you know idea. I'm with you. How many times? <laughs> you know I'm with you. You know I'm with you, brother. How many times do I have to do the Jen Dolce commercial this week? Well, the Italian restaurant, Il Cortile. Brother, I'm with you, man. It's not me. Brother. It's not me. Yeah. Yelling at the wrong guy. Who should I yell at, Phil? <laughs> Just yell at him now. Just, I, it's not my, this is not my call. No, I'm telling That's you right now, I'm not doing any of these commercials. <laughs> I'm not doing any of them. So I gave you a five hour, giving you ten hours of live programming the last two days. I'm not doing any commercials. I'm going to tell you, if you saw him on the train at like four in the morning, you wouldn't disagree with anything he told you to do right now. Got to tell you. All right, Phil, I'll see you in the studio in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all be back tomorrow, God willing, for a big Wednesday show. we got a lot of great guests, another five-hour extravaganza. Don't forget, my main man, Curtis Sliwa. You get an extra hour of the great Curtis Sliwa as well. Sliwa, 11 to 1, till Greg Kelly comes your way. For all my guys, Lou Rufino, great to have you back today. Amazing. Noam Layden, great to have you back today. Amazing. Justin Ellick, you're always the best. We'll all be back for a Wednesday show tomorrow at 6. Until then, I'll see you tonight at Madison Square Garden for the Rangers and the Dallas Stars. I'll be out there rooting on my New York Rangers. Peace!
If you had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.